We're living through one of those changes that historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-C. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the end times continue recording on this the 14th of August for us on in this hemisphere. Um, <laughs> uh, I am Dino and you are Ace. How's it going, Ace? Oh, it's going well. Um, we, have we have a, a very guest special today. show for you guys uh, this week. Um, we have a very special guest, someone who's been on my radar for a while, um, a Mr. Uh, Kim Robinson. Uh, Kim, why, why don't you tell people who you are? G'day, Dean. G'day, Ace. It's uh, good to be here. Um, I'm from South Australia. I um, have been fortunate to be writing for the Libertarian Institute for about uh, five years, I suppose, now. And um, I often enjoy your um, your arguments and exchanges <laughs> with people on Twitter. And so, yeah, it's, it's good to finally be on the show and to finally talk to you guys. Oh, oh welcome. It's our, it's our pleasure for you to be here. Thank you so much. No, anytime. Oh, man. Um, let me ask... Uh, Kim, have you had COVID? <laughs> yeah, I did. I got it back in um, March this year. Yeah, I um because I'm also I was a professional fighter, so I coach other fighters. And one of my guys, we had a fight. Uh, a couple of guys that were training for a fight about a week out. Uh, one of them got COVID, and then we all had to get tested, and you know, to prove that we didn't have COVID before we went to the fight show. And then one by one, we all ended up testing positive. Right. And you I sort of had, like, you had it. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a bit sniffly at the moment because I moved some flowers and I had an allergic reaction to them. So I got a bit nasally. This, for me personally, this, what I'm experiencing now is actually worse than what it was when um, I had uh, COVID because I, right. I got a head cold over the weekend because of the, the reaction, I think. And um, But when I had COVID, I was very lucky. I didn't have extreme symptoms or anything. Um, I do know people that did get pretty extreme symptoms of COVID, like really bad flu-like symptoms, et cetera. But for me personally, I was training twice a day and writing and, you know, I just had to stay in isolation. So, yeah. What about you guys? Uh, I, I just got over it. His, that's oh. why I'm asking. I, 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 I've, I'm, I've still got the little remnants of the congestion, but outside yep. of that, it's, I had one day of like body aches and like feeling pretty shitty. And then it was just congestion for a week. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the worst part of it—the freaking congestion. I can't remember if Ace has had it or not. I've asked multiple I've times, and I keep forgetting. So I don't. Okay, so I don't think I've had it yet. I've I've never gotten tested for it. Um, there's there's a time where I thought I might have had it because I had some of the, like the weird taste, uh, the lack of taste uh, thing going on for a couple of days. So maybe it's possible I had like a really mild case of it, but um, uh, I don't think I've had like a strong, at the very least, I've never had a strong case of it. I could have had it and just been asymptomatic the whole time. Sure. But, um, yeah. yeah. And you probably have, you probably, yeah. you probably have had it, but yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of bad cases of it, I don't want to identify who this is, but I know somebody, <laughs> indiv- I know somebody who it gave them asthma. They have asthma now. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah, okay, that's not good. That's horrible. Yeah, and uh, but but here's the thing though too. Uh, outside of the fact that it gave them, they had a really bad case of it. Um, and yep. outside of the fact that it gave them asthma, um, she also had a reaction to the vaccine, which yeah, caused uh her to now be allergic to her skin. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. Uh, so she has to take like a, like a special bath every couple few days in order to make sure she doesn't break out in hives because that's she's horrible. allergic that's to her horrible. skin. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, and and, and it's, it's a controversial thing to discuss even now, but mm-hmm. we all have anecdotes and we all know people that have had pretty bad reactions to the vaccine and things like yeah. that to the COVID vaccine. Now, it's empirical, it's circumstantial, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But of, of the people that I know that are younger, generally speaking, I know quite yeah. a few people that have had you know certain clotting issues and cysts in places yep. that they yeah. shouldn't and really sick as a reaction to, you know, some of the vaccinations, et cetera. Um, and then they've still gotten sick from COVID, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever else. So it's, it's like that net benefit sort of thing doesn't really translate that well. But even now, it's still quite controversial to even say this, even though we're observing it ourselves. And ironically, interestingly enough, a lot of the people that I know in my life who are very pro the vaccination, you know, regime, are now discussing not getting the fourth, fifth, or sixth booster. Right. But, you know, like that's, you know I've got people that are close to me. They're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to get it. Don't get it. And it's like, well, thanks for that. But where were you, you know, last year? <laughs> Eventually, you start yeah. feeling like you dodged a bullet. The more things happen to people, the more you start to feel like you dodged a bullet and you don't want to attempt fade again. That was one of the interesting things that, um, like with with her, like she got it from both ends. I'm I am the most unbiased yeah. person on this because <laughs> this individual was literally given asthma because of COVID, and yeah. plus yeah. also was hurt by the vaccine. <laughs> There's no <laughs> so like yeah. Do you know that the stupid thing about the whole situation is people want to put you into two groups. If you're skeptical or wary of a cookie cutter um solution, i.e. the vaccinations, exactly. Mm-hmm. That then they then juxtaposition that you you don't believe that COVID's real or that you right. are or whatever, that it can be or very a conspiracy theorist, you know that, that they're putting microchips in us or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas you know it's obviously most people are more nuanced and generally I've observed that people who are not getting the vaccination are often very fit people and mm-hmm. independent people and they're very mindful of their own body. That being said, there's a lot of you know people that are not that as well, but. So they've made a decision that they're going to invest in their own immune system, their own lifestyle and things like that over just relying on a very much, you know, a, a generic approach to something that we don't even understand. Like COVID is quite real and it's very scary and it's very dangerous for some people. But, and I don't want to sound, you know, like I'm um, minimizing it, but so is the common flu. Like people die right. of that every year. Like just because we didn't know it. Yeah, just because people didn't notice that until 2020 doesn't mean that influenza wasn't killing scores of people all over the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you said, it's, it's a perfect analogy to this, right? So many people will try to put you in a box. So either like if you underplay, if you downplay COVID it to the level where it's not downplayed in the sense that you're not as scared about it as the media is portraying, they think, oh, you just, you know, you don't care about all these people dying. You just think it's fake. It's like, no, no, it's real. It is, as you said, it's dangerous to some people, uh, and especially in certain age brackets or, or like who have certain like pre-existing health conditions. That it can be very dangerous to them. But um, we we don't usually go on the news and make a whole big thing about like the you know influenza or the flu, like the flu, just every year killing all these people. It, you know, right. it's not on the news plastering people in the face every single day, twenty four seven, talking about how many people died from the flu last year. That's just that's never a thing in the media. So it, it very much shows you how much uh, 
the media plays a role in all of this. We're going to get another get the facts about COVID ban. No, you're fine. Uh, We're going to get another get the facts about COVID banner on this episode. We have one of those on one. Oh, oh, we have one. Yeah, we do have one. We did. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. What were you saying, Kim? No, because what I was what I was going to say is out of the whole the period of the pandemic. Like you know, you guys experienced it in the US, and we certainly did here in Australia. We there, there was. There was a lesson that we should have taken from this. One, our health is extremely sacred. Oh, uh, yeah. Being healthy and being, you know, physically and mentally and all this sort of stuff is really important because you can get sick and die from being sick. It was it, we should have known this beforehand, but it became very apparent. It was everywhere. We couldn't avoid it. The other thing, being independent, being self-sufficient, being self-reliant, and having self-agency is also important because people, at least here in Australia, a lot of people were persuaded, reluctantly, you know, directed to get a vaccination. Otherwise, they couldn't get their jobs. They were denied access all over the country. They were, you know, locked down and quarantined, especially in some other states. They lost their ability to make money. They lost their ability to enjoy their lifestyles yeah. because they this paternal government that a lot of people seem to want was making all these decisions based on pretty arbitrary, you know, uh, conclusions just because decision makers always need to make decisions because right. directives are going to come from somewhere. And so the lesson should have been, okay, I need to be healthy. I need to be independent and self-reliant. No, a lot of people, all right, I'm going to trust the professionals, even though in a public health society like Australia, we have hospital ramping, we have problems with our, uh, our health system where it's, you know, it's convoluted, it's complicated, and there's a lot of delays for a lot of people. Um I'm now reliant on government grant subsidies and welfare, or, you know, I have to get a job with a big company where I don't necessarily enjoy mm-hmm. myself. So their conclusions were skewed because I think it was a degree of laziness. But the flip side of that, there was a lot of people that came through this that they've gone proper nomad, proper hippie, proper sure. agorist, proper anarcho freedom. You know? Yeah. So I think it, it's, 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 there's been a fork in the road for some people. And at the, at the end of the day, two, three, four, five, six years from now, a lot of people are just going to forget this ever happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. People have such short memories. I mean, this is the thing oh, that we were talking absolutely. about. Um, and we've talked about it multiple times, that the fact that history began before Donald Trump was elected in uh, 2016, history began on 9-11. After Donald yeah. Trump was elected, history began in 2015, 2016 with the with right. the nomination and, and election of Donald Trump. The, the History starts whenever people... Uh, decide it starts and these people have incredibly short memories that's i think that's the dangerous of a partisan political cycle that, that liberal democracies have is people are infected with this idiocy that if i vote and i vote for the lesser of an evil then it's going to be better than what it is now every person knows like even people that are dyed in the wall pro-democracy pro-government types know that politicians lie they rationalize they have to lie they have to compromise and so forth so constantly they lie. So the people are voting for a, a known liar. Yeah. Then empirically we know that they like Ronald Reagan before he was elected. Man, that guy, that guy would have been probably in the Mises caucus. You know, he probably would be doing lectures, doing po- well. He was he's doing a radio show where he was basically doing podcasts, yep. and he would be like, you know, he would sound great. He was befriending guys like you know a lot of who a lot of stalwarts in the libertarian movement. Then what happened? He became a big government, big spending, big war, big war on drugs, a prohibition, gun control, gun control censorship, everything. 
Well, part because of that that's what they because... do. That's what they yeah. do. Well, part of that was because also, he even, built you, this even coalition. Even if you believe, like, well, we should vote for the lesser of evil, um, if you understand, like, how, like, democratic republics function, the, that lesser evil is going to have to compromise with the greater evil at some yeah, point exactly. to get something done. And they then now to then they begin to look less and less like the lesser evil, even if you can give them, like, the complete benefit of the doubt. The, uh, the reality is, thing... the lesser of two evils is this. Ed Kempler or Ted Bundy? <laughs> who do you, you, you know what I mean? Who, 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 right, right, yeah. who has the lowest yeah. body count? Who who was the most uh, you know interesting to talk to after? Well, what is your diet? What is your what, what is it? What are people's metrics to determine evil? Right, right. That's the thing. Right, is that there's a certain amount like where I begin to lose interest in like totalitarian bean counters. Where yeah, like, I don't agree. You know, this per you know uh, Hitler killed uh, you know less people than Stalin. Therefore, you know, it's just like I'm I'm not going to do that. That's not an I'm interesting not, conversation. I, I, They're both bad guys. In a way, I'm not going to like listen to this any further. And that's the privilege of like, and that's the privilege of an academic, or even now with with online lifestyle that we have, we all become voyeurs. Like we all become, right. you know, uh, we all become experts from afar. We don't we don't taste the blood, we don't smell it, we don't feel it, we don't shed it. Yeah. But what we do is we we can at best, and and Adam Curtis did this a, a docudrama briefly a, a while ago. It's a brief one, and it's called Oh Dear, where basically. Re- people relegate others' misery to the sensation of "oh dear," but it's just another form of um, emotionality, or it's another right. it's another form of entertainment where we can look at um, a Haitian child who's suffering because of a cyclone or because of abject poverty, and then we can switch the channel. We see a Somali child, or we can look at Afghanistan. I mean, most people that were upset about the Taliban taking over Afghanistan don't even remember what Afghanistan is. Just no, right. a few years and time, they don't you know, know people the, are not going to remember what um, these are people who Ukraine think, is. These are people and, and who so think that the Taliban they're just going to move Al-Qaeda. on, move on because they've got short term memories. Like yeah. they're flipping and channels I, on TV. It's just like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. You flip the and, channel and then it's all gone. <laughs> and, it beca- like, and it becomes and then it becomes a discourse between statistical aggregates. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, the Russians have killed this many civilians in the Ukraine. Well, no, the Ukrainians have only killed this many. Well, <laughs> if that was your, if that was your brother, if that was your sister, if that was your mother, if that was you know. Your house, that means everything. Like, when does like? And I hate the cliche about you know statistics. What you know the Stalin quote and all that, but it's so yeah, true yeah, because yeah. because you know like people what like people argue like I'm seeing people that we know within our quote community yeah. posting memes about the Holocaust and how the numbers are wrong because <laughs> they wouldn't have had enough ovens. Hello, they weren't right. all murdered. They weren't all murdered in the ovens. You know, the Nazis were driving around, shooting people in the back of the skulls. They were hanging them. They were burning them in churches. They were burning them in huts. Yeah. They were driving around in mobile gas chambers before they built Auschwitz and Dachau. You know, these places, like, these mechanized industries of death, and they're sitting there smug like a piece of filth going, oh, well, I don't believe, I don't believe the numbers are real because I did maths in my head. Right. Like, you know what I mean? also, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's also one of these cases where uh, th- these people will sit here and, and like, if you really want to down the hill of, well, you know, Hitler actually killed like 300 less people than we originally thought or something yeah. like that. And it's like, okay, buddy, you go die on that Even hill. if it's 300,000 less people, I'm just pulling the number out of my ass. Even if it's three hundred thousand, that's still not. That still does. What what is the moral difference? There's there is no moral difference between five million and six million. 
It, 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 the, the thing yeah, is, it's not like yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's not like oh, well, he was unjustified, but now he's unjustified times two, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it, it's and it's so it's a very perversion, a perverted thing because it lacks the intimacy of the terror. Like yes, oh, yeah. If like if if there was a person who randomly walked into a person's a woman's house, let's say. And he did what the Nightcrawler did, you know. He um, mm-hmm. raped them and then murdered their loved one and then humiliated them, put them through pain yeah. and misery, and then left. If he did that to just one person, yeah, that's horrible. That is freaking right. horrible. Yeah. But if he does it to ten people, it's just as horrible. But it's just just yeah. as horrible to ten different people and their families and the you know. Exactly. The trouble is, what we do is we get, well, like you said, we become bean counters. Yes. Where mm-hmm. you know, like where people will argue and go, oh well, you know, actually. Um, yeah. Only 40,000 people were killed on the first day of the bombings. It's, it's like 40,000 children, women, yeah. old men, yeah. fighting age yep. males. It doesn't matter. Murdered, you know? <laughs> like, I don't, care, I don't care about the number. Like, the, like I care about what happened, you know? Yep. And the number is part of that, but it's not like at a certain threshold, it's like, oh, well, okay. But then at some, you know, mathematical arbitrary threshold, it becomes, oh, that's really bad. Because because uh, what because what, what I find when it comes to the number what 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 makes okay um, let's let's take it from a non government actor let's say a group of uh, warlords let's say in a perfect anarcho capitalist society yeah. there's a group of deranged lords resistance army type fiends inevitably arise up they take machetes they take pitchforks and they go to a village and they stab and murder everyone right yeah now at what stage do people go all right well there's only eighty people so let's just leave them alone. <laughs> or it was a right. thousand people, eight thousand, eight hundred thousand, eight million. Like, at what stage does it become like scale is important, definitely. But what stage do people's moral indignation suddenly arise? Because right. if you talk about like the death counts of you know the U.S. bombing campaign in Southeast Asia, like you know, yeah, there were millions of human beings murdered, and they were murdered at the time instantaneously, yep. and then tens of thousands have died each year and yep. decade after the fact. Yeah, I, I, I think going, there is, though. Sorry, I think there. I'm sorry. I, I think there is an answer to your question, though. And I yeah. think. I think part of it. I think it's one of the things that's more damning about human beings generally. And I'm. I've been very. Uh, been very vocal about the fact that I don't think that human nature is at its base evil or good. I think human nature is mm-hmm. at its base a very neutral force. But I do think there is at one damning quality about people, and it goes to your point, and that is that I think people don't care until the threat comes home. Yes. I, I, yeah. I think that leads into the kind of voyeurism that you're talking yeah. about when we're talking about being on the internet and watching things and that idea of, oh dear, right? That's People don't really care until the threat is at their doorstep, yeah. or you can effectively uh, uh, in a, in a rhetorical way, bring the threat to their doorstep in their mind. Right. right? And that was one of my favorite things like Ron Paul did when he was campaigning. I think this was my favorite argument he, he would give when he was talking about like issues like war. And he was talking about like, look at what the United States government is doing to these people. And imagine if it was a foreign country doing it to the United States. Uh, oh, it, it's just feel? like what Scott right. Horton says so about, about Texas Horn, and yeah. comparing it to Afghanistan. Right. Yeah, so like you you put you you force people into a rhetorical um, like frame of reference where it's like okay, imagine if this was your family or loved one, how would you feel, right? Because this is the whole thing. It's like oh well, why are there so many terrorists now? It's like oh well, maybe it has something to do with uh, their families being murdered. 
uh, by certain, you know, governments around the world, uh, consistently and then being told that it's a good thing that these people intervened and, you know, liberated someplace, uh, while their family is, you know, got blown to smithereens. Sure. And, and you know, I don't think, I think that's definitely true, but I don't think a lot of people have to put themselves in that situation because if I'm walking down the street and you see, like, say we're all three of us are just walking down the street, minding our own business, having a conversation, having this conversation, let's say, mm-hmm. and we see an act that either someone is trips over, hurts themselves, we have to offer first aid. Mm-hmm. You don't make the, you don't sit there and um, articulate in your mind, oh, well, what if right. that was me? I would want someone to help me. No, you don't. You just help people. Some people right. won't. Some people mind their own business. But then, if someone is being mugged, you know. You might intervene and so on and so forth. You don't make these calculations in your mind right. and go, oh, what if that was me? But the trouble is when we do deal with policy and we do deal with nationalism and things like that and even collectivism in general, people want to uh, disassociate and remove any moral culpability. They yes. will celebrate government. They'll celebrate national pride and things like that. But the moment you put up the mirror to their face and say, hey, guess what? Your government, you know that government that you get welfare from, that you probably work for, that you love and adore, well, this is the victims of it. Yeah, but yep. there's context to it, you know, like you've got to understand the wider understanding, you know. It's like, no, dude, yeah. you do not, like, it's such a dumb thing. I mean, and to go back to the Nazi analogy, because I think, you know, we mm-hmm. should, because they're, they're always the villains. Right. And the, the, the only, the, the reality of the whole Anne Frank story, right, Mm-hmm. is we have her diaries. So she becomes right. a human being. She's no longer a statistic. So she's yes, a precious exactly. memento. The the anomaly about Anne Frank is one, her diary, and two, the people that protected and shielded her. Mm-hmm. Right. The neighbours, the police, the bureaucrats, the administrators, the, the, the guards, everyone, on and on and on. There were tens of thousands of people cooperating with one another to make that little girl illegal and to kill her, to murder yes. her. That's one of the things now, that gets ignored, and that's one of the things that uh, my girlfriend will yell about all the time: is the collaborators in Vichy, France. Um, the the idea that you that, that we have your God, that's such a good point. We we have this story of somebody resisting and and all this stuff, and that's all fine and good. It makes people feel good about it, but we don't <laughs> generally have the story because it's largely ignored of the thousands, tens of thousands, millions of collaborators who actively assisted in genocide. Right. Exactly. And, and they were willing too, because yes. some of them were like, you know, they were ideologically or racially or whatever. They were willing murderers. Okay. But then there was the ones that were just doing a job. And these are the ones that always get me because we, we've seen it during the whole, uh, we, two things. One, let's go back to 2002, 2003 there was a lot of jingoistic people out there that wanted to see um, justice, even here in Australia. They wanted to get involved in Iraq. They wanted to get, certainly wanted to get involved in Afghanistan. They wanted to go against, to war against the Islamic world. Back during the ISIS period, like in 10 years ago, everyone was an expert on Islam. Everyone hated Islam. Like most people hated Islam. They were experts on it. They they, they want to spread the caliphate. Every Muslim's this. Remember Charlie Hedbo, all this sort of stuff. Then, that sort of died off, you know? Suddenly a Muslim is another human being, you know? Yeah. Like, well, suddenly I mean, uh, Vietnamese, yeah. uh, a Cambodian, uh, uh, they're, they're human beings. They're, you know, they're not kind, you know, communist Viet Cong pajama wearing, you know, murderers in the jungle. Yeah. And what happens is people hate people that they turn into inhuman uh, specters. Mm-hmm. But then yes. there are people that just do their job 
because they're getting paid to just do their job. And they yep. don't have any moral fight in the in the whole argument. They're the cops that were enforcing the COVID laws while bubbling and bitching to their mates that it's bullshit. Yes. They're the cops that are smoking yep. weed on the weekend or taking steroids on the weekend while going through someone's house and going through their personal belongings and destroying their lives. They're the cops that are secretly getting their missus a drop gun because they're worried that while he's away at work, she needs to protect herself. But then they'll go raid someone's house because they didn't fill yes. out a form for firearm ownership. You know, yep. this yes. is the real, this is the world we live in. And, and, and this is, and it's a form of corruption. It's a corruption of morality. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, that's how Anne Frank becomes a criminal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because at the end of the day, Hitler is just a P Hitler, a man like Adolf Hitler, a man like Donald Trump and, Joe Biden and whoever, you know, Mario talk, they're just flab in a suit. They're just yep, these flabby, right. unimpressive human beings that for some reason have legally ascended to power, that other people have do everything for them. And for some reason, human beings, beings have this uh, religious need for a hierarchy where, oh, well, you yeah. know, this person, I didn't vote for him, but you've got to respect the office of the president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> He says some words and then these people, or he's advised some things and these people then go ahead and do these other things. And then it's like, what kind of connects? Where does this make sense? It it connects Um, to what we're talking about with COVID. Rose has this quote where it's like, he's talking about like, you know, I'm not afraid of the Stalins, the Hitlers and the Maos. I'm afraid of the millions of people who uh, are deluded into thinking that they have an obligation to follow their commands. Yes, exactly. And it connects, it connects back to what we were saying when we were talking about COVID and, and you made the point, Kim, that, these people are in charge, and so the expectation is that they do something. But the the urge to do something is is incredibly destructive. This this desire, um, this requirement almost that we have these people, we put them in charge. They've got to do something, some anything, yeah. and yeah. It, it, it it generally doesn't maker, go well. I know oh it's these people will get on Facebook and they'll be upset that someone didn't do something because. By not doing something, they cause massive amounts of death. At the same time, they will make a decision. They'll take people out of hospitals and put them in aged care facilities, and then massive amounts of death occur. But at least they made a decision. Right. Exactly. It's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. But the trouble is, and this all comes back, and I'm sure you guys would be the same mindset, you strip it down to the bare bones of it all. Did it require coercion? Did you have to force another human being against their will in order to... Uh, propagate your religion, your ideology, your policy. If you did, it's morally wrong. Yep. That's very simplistic, but at the end of the day, that's the jux of the argument, you know? And yeah. most people, they, they, they will agree with you that um, coercion is wrong, but then they're quite happy to work a job or to, to, to live in a world where they profit and benefit from coercion. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen this in a lot of circles. They've stopped doing that. People have stopped, uh, at least uh, at least in in a few little niche circles, I should say. People <laughs> have stopped. People who argue with anarchists all the time, I should say, have mm-hmm. stopped saying that they agree that coerce that, co- that using coercion against peaceful people is wrong. Like they they just dropped that moral statement from their lexicon from their vocabulary because they can't be anarchists or yes yeah yeah yeah. or people who identify as libertarians or or people who are familiar with it but don't don't agree with it have just dropped that moral statement from their uh from their ethical lexicon because they have seen that it is ultimately self-defeating to their ideology 
So, and I think that's where it all comes down to the, the greater good or they come up with, um, you know, imagine the country is someone's house. And, you know, they come up yeah. with these hypothetical, you know, it's like yeah. they'll justify ridiculous migration and refugee and, and, and border laws by by using some analogy to do with someone's backyard during a picnic, you know? Right, yeah. And they, they, these stupid arguments which have nothing to do with what we're talking about and that have none of the nuance. Yeah. And I think that's the trouble with certain allegories and metaphors yes. is it simplifies complexity because it's for the dumbest person in the room. Well, the dumbest person yeah. in the room, we shouldn't be talking with you. We should just be talking to everyone in the room. You yeah. Know? yeah, metaphors can be extremely dangerous if you oh, use them properly. Um, and then, like, some people will use metaphors. And then, like, when you try to point out, like, why it's wrong, uh, they, they'll just, like, revert back and they'll, like, repeat the metaphor as if, oh, yeah, as it if becomes you circular. just don't understand it and they just have to repeat it enough times to get it. I, I, I interact with this type of thing all the time on Twitter where it's like uh, just as you were saying like like the famous immigration thing where it's like well let's imagine the country is our house and how would we want to run our house you know it's just like let me make up this fantasy and pretend it's real so that I can justify calling the cops on you. Well here's the interesting thing when, when it comes to that analogy I've come across that with, with that um, when it comes to culture, society, government yes. whatever and, and they'll, they'll use a family or whatever else. I say I cannot leave my family. What if what if there is a person, they're in an abusive family, are they allowed to leave that family? Are they allowed to then go to another family? If that family has people that welcome them, uh, you know, or when someone gets married, they generally leave the familial home and they, you know, they create their yeah. own. Like this analogy that we do come across all the time is so dumb and it doesn't even stand up within the analogy. It doesn't. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not, it's not even internally consistent. No, it's not. But that's the trouble. And that's the trouble, I think, when it comes to political philosophy and ideology. Yeah. It's not supposed to be. It's it's like, it's, look, okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist, all right? And mm-hmm. that's taboo these days. I used to be very religious, right? But then I just, just decided it wasn't for me. What I found when I was religious and when I come across a lot of religious people, and this is no different to when it comes to statism or, or other political philosophies, is people have a need to fill in gaps in themselves or they need a safety blanket. So they wrap themselves up in whatever it is and they throw themselves at it. And therefore they believe in God. They believe in God for selfish reasons because he'll protect them or she'll protect them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if they need to win cross lotto, they'll pray to them. If they, if they want to run the red light, they'll pray to them or so on and so forth from micro to macro things. And the same thing when it comes to ideology, uh, a lot of communists that are very bourgeoisie communists, they believe that, they're going to live in a world where they can just permanently study and don't have to work and their houses are going to get built for them and then others are going to do it for them because that's what they think communism is in their brain. It reminds me of that that Reddit thread that was like, what's going to be your job when we finally accomplish communism? Exactly. it's everybody being like, I'm going to be, I'm going to read or I'm going to do art. And it's like, no, you idiots, you're going to farm every one of you. (laughs) You're going to starve to death in the field. (laughs) And that's and, and that's just it. And that's what we know. Like we know that yeah. no political ideology over time, no philosophy, no religion over time stays in a static state or ends mm-hmm. up being utopian. Right. That they may not necessarily be dystopian, but they certainly are for some people. Just because right. you know, like you, we, us three guys, we want a anarcho voluntary society. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we also have to understand that that's not for everyone else. So the question comes down to. Are we allowed to go be somewhere free? Right. You know what I mean? As exactly. opposed to, we're not going to change. We're not going to change. You guys are not going to turn the United States into an narco society. 
Right. America is uh, the no. biggest government in the world, and it's always been that way, going from, you know, yep. uh, the very first days of its founding, when the slave owners, you know, wrote those Articles of Confederation. It became a big government. Yeah. Now, the New yeah. Hampshire project isn't even going to happen. No. Nope. Um, it's not going to succeed in the way probably they not happen, to. But where can we go to be free? And that's the question I ask statists all the time, and they mm. never give me an answer. To me, that is the yeah, definition of a leave. It's like where, where yeah, yeah, where, 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 where because, can because, the, because Australia isn't a very big, you know, uh, isn't an empire. It has its own little empire, like Christmas Island and the Samoa and Fiji and New Guinea. It has a lot of influence in its own little region, right? But it's part of this coalition of the willing and the U.S. empire. If I was to leave, and let's say we we're going to do some seasteading, well, we've seen what happens when a government gets involved in seasteading. Yeah. People in Thailand were done for sedition. Yep. <laughs> Even though they're in international waters. So we have seen what happens. So if we were to go somewhere, let's say in Africa, like in Namibia, let's say, a rich millionaire was our benefactor and said, okay, you can have a free society here. I guarantee the moment we start having a, a Singapore or a Shanghai effect where we have a lot of free trade and commerce and all that, and we're taking that away from uh, protected industries and so on and so forth, we will probably find sanctions or uh, yeah. blockades, not to mention drone strikes, infection oh, yeah. of of others. And that's what's going to happen. And that's Because they cannot leave us alone. The very yeah. definition of government is internal imperialism. Yeah. Because yeah. that's yeah. the difference between the left and right is generally speaking, the right loves empire abroad and the left loves empire within. Yeah. That's one of the... Yeah, you know, whenever, someone tell, whenever someone says, well, just leave, you know, if you don't like the U.S., mm-hmm. just leave. One of my favorite rhetorical comebacks to that is, well, I don't want to be a victim of their foreign policy. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, there's a... It's there's a, a, so true, yeah. What's that little independent... It, it's trying to be a libertarian utopia in a contested region in, I believe it's Eastern Europe. Um, I think it's near Europe, Croatia. Is it Libertopia near Croatia? I can't oh, remember. Uh... I can't remember. But one of the but the the reason though that that whole area is unclaimed is because it's unlivable swampland. Nobody yeah. would want to be there. So so the the argument is go live in an uninhabitable place. It's not even. It's when they when people say like when people point to these areas. Where they say, well, just go there and live there. It's like, no, no, no. That place is legitimately uninhabitable. It's not a place where people can live. Um, and the worst thing about the Libertopia, if I remember correctly, when I was looking into that land, I just I mean, Liberland. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah Liberland. The place is near, if it's near Croatia, where, where I think it is, it's also a very convoluted process to get there because you have to go through different national governments in order yeah. to get there. It's, it's landlocked or whatever. It's it's like not an easy place to get. Oh to. yeah, they don't have they don't even they don't have access to a waterway. It's it is a garbage place. Like the it's it's a place on the planet that those countries just kind of left alone because it's not useful. Yeah. On on a Google, the population is said to be zero. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, it's that that's the end capistan in your mind that we keep getting told about. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah. But I think the I think you make a good point. But I do think there's a the 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 issue too. What what ultimately what I've kind of landed on at least I should say that this is more of a personal thing. Um, yeah. What I've kind of landed on uh, with regard to that question. Um, you know, the, 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 the fact that you raised that we're not going to make the U.S. Anarch- anarchist, it's not going to happen. But what, what you can do is build what you can where you are. 
And, yes, and, exactly. and what you're capable, mm-hmm. what you can do is exert your will on the world around you in a way that you become, it's very much like we were talking about with COVID. You, you develop this level of self-sufficiency, of insulation, of, uh, not isolation necessarily, but certainly insulation. You, uh, learn how to take care of your own shit as far as fixing things, building things, whatever it is that, that, that makes it easier for you to build. It's not a, uh, it's kind of the concept of the parallel economy, but in your personal life, where it's like, I'm yeah, like, no, no, I'm already it's a, it's living a, it's in It's kind of a dynamic agorism as such. Right. Yeah. Well, it's right. funny you should say that because, um, and this goes to with the Medusian Liberty sort of thing, which um, um, the, the article. Um, I'd love to talk about that. Where basically I, that was dedicated predominantly to more nomadic people, especially women yes. who want to be left alone. And they exist. And the thing that I find really interesting and, you know, in the, I mean, obviously this podcast is dedicated more to liberty minded people, but within the liberty moment movement, there is at the moment, um, a lot of people, you know, the post libertarianisms, the, the people that are trying to hijack the libertarian party in the United States. So on and on, there are these people that are caught up in, uh, politics and social media culture. And, the only way they seem to be able to do that is to create a divide, a division between them and the imaginary left or whatever, to create caricatures of other people's lifestyles, to claim that all transsexuals are pedophilic uh, groomers mm-hmm. or to claim that um, all people in polyamorous relationships are degenerate uh, yeah. debaucherers, on and on and on, or that all sex workers have no agency. Whereas outside, so, so one, you're creating enemies. So, in Australia, a lot of people think libertarianism is MAGA, um, Donald Trump crap, because right. the social media world was so ina- so wrapped up with all these people in America that were talking about yeah. fifth-dimensional chess and, oh, well, Roger Stone says he's a libertarian, that sort of right. stuff. Yeah. So what happens, a brand has been uh, sullied, and then on top of that, the online community is so toxic and ugly that it's even toxic and ugly for people like us who are within it. So when outsiders come to it, they see it and they see these meme tards making these memes that don't even make sense. They're just basically like the analogies <laughs> that are very specific and particular to what, you know, Dave Smith said on a podcast six episodes ago, you know, yeah. right. or something so like insular. that. But then these people like who are in there. That... in-group references. But no one gets it outside of that in-group. And it's funny for two years because it's going to be yeah. like making a, I don't know, uh, a Kony twenty twelve reference, you know, it's right. or, or a fidget spinner reference. Yeah. It's Remember back in the day, and then yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. I had to blow up the cartridge to get it working. But like <laughs> the the thing is, with a lot of these people, especially the women, like um, within this community and trans people too, they are far more, far more liberty orientated and libertarian than I, most people I come across online. They actually live it. It's purely anecdotal, but that's kind of been my experience as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, the crazy thing we're talking about with the, um, the, the bit about migrants and borders. I, I sometimes do a bit of site maintenance, like a bit of manual labor here and there for people, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I like doing it because it keeps me working, uh, a, a manual world. And I get to, it helps with writing, especially the fiction writing. I come across with people with different top walks of life and it, it's just, it's good and grounding. Anyway, I come across people, I could be on a work site. There might be one, quote, native-born Australian there, as in a, a white Australian, what most people associate the you know, Australian as. Then there might be two brothers from Latvia. 
two Afghani brothers, an Indian guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the delivery guy rocks up and he's from Ethiopia or Somalia. Yeah. And you've got this diverse group of individuals, most of them are naturalized citizens or whatever. And then they'll start talking and have conversations. And yeah. they might be listening to Joe Rogan. They might be listening to a podcast or whatever. And nearly all of them just want to be left alone. They want to raise their family. They all have common interests. They're all, they're all working together to build a house or a, a building. Mm-hmm. The one culture that is uniting is work ethic, individual identity, family, friends, on and on and on, hobbies. Yeah. You know, you might talk to someone who likes soccer from one country. You know, there's all these commonalities. But to think that we need to homogenize society and to deny these individuals yeah. from coming here to do the real work, mind you, and then to claim that these people hate liberty because, quote, they vote for Democrats or they vote for socialists. Bullshit. Also, Most what, people I know that are socialists and vote for the big government are people that profit from it, and they tend to be people that work in corporations, are on welfare, yeah. or work in government itself. And they usually happen to be the native-born citizens. And you can't right. really blame them for and voting in the their same- interest. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you can't really blame them for voting in their interest. The organization right. yeah. there, the organization exists... And, and they them. vote because they get lied to as well. Like most people, they right. vote. They vote where the lies are. Yeah. And if and, someone and, says, know, "Sorry, sorry go ahead. good." No, no, sorry, good. What I was going to say is, and if if someone is voting um, something that most people vote on one issue, and we we all we all don't hear that one issue. It might be something completely small. It might be uh, there's going to be certain rebates for working families on childcare. Yep. So a lot of working families or people that are, you know, time poor are going to go, I'm going to vote on that. That's what they're worried about. They're not worried about foreign policy. They're not worried about taxes or this. They're not worried about, or someone might vote very selfishly. Oh, um, there's going to be a submarine contract that's going to give certain jobs. Well, I'm in the defense sector, so therefore I need that submarine contract. I'm going to vote on that. And that's how most people vote. And that's a selfish delusion of democracy. And you can't help people because most people are very pragmatic with their lifestyles. They accept, like, if someone comes to a country where the biggest biggest gang leader, the warlord, is the government that's got the monopoly and the violence and all that sort of stuff, most people know that they can't change that. They don't come to an ideological position like us and go, let's try to be, you know, let's try to dissent as much as we can peacefully. They just go, look, I've got to live with this monster. Um, I might as well get what I can out of it, and then I die. Yeah, yeah that's how exactly. most people think. Yes, and, and, yes, we make that. And that's point. how the that's how the beast continues to swell. We've yeah, made that point absolutely. on the show. And, uh, and, I think almost every episode we've made the point that people people will will people don't think like us <laughs> like the most no, most people most people and, are just trying to feed their fucking family, and they don't fucking care about the uh theoretical ideologies of libertarianism or whatever it is they they don't give a shit they need food on the table that's most people do you know the most scariest man in a a tyranny is a man with a family oh yeah right because that man will torture you that man will kill your family that man will do whatever the status quo needs done to protect his own family Mm -hmm. yeah and it, that doesn't matter if it's Saddam Hussein's regime or if it's the United yeah. States regime. Yeah. There's also um, th- there's also something too where it's like this is something I've seen like with people who talk about like immigration where they say well they'll bring up the whole well you know these immigrants statistically in the past uh, they come here and they vote for Democrats that means they're not 
you know, they're not amenable to liberty. It's like, hold on, you just made a radical leap here. For one, I- you claim to know that, you know, they're not amenable. It's uh, their mindset is just not amenable to liberty. You don't know okay. why they're voting for the Democrats. You know, you don't and know how- that. And how collectivist is that thinking? Yeah, exactly. exactly. On top of that, I'm going to say one thing. I'm sure this is not just my perspective as an, as an Australian, but the United States is probably the only country that I can tell that, that breaks everything down into demographics. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. you, no, one, no one here in Australia would go, we've got to get the black vote. We've got to get the <laughs> yeah, Latina right. vote. You know, well, oh, one of the, people between the this age. And, and it, becomes, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. Yes. Like where they talk about all these demographics because of a Gallup poll or whatever. Right. And go, oh, well, you know, Donald Trump had more Latinos in this election than Hillary Clinton. And, and yeah. like, like what, you what, know what the that people, is, though? Like, do people, when they vote, identify, uh, like, I know it's a convoluted system you have. It's exit poll. Compared to other democracies. But – it's weird, like that. People seem, and then what happens is it spurs racism, it spurs sexism, yes. it spurs chauvinism. Because then yes. people go, "Well, all people of a certain persuasion vote Democrat or Republican." Yeah. And yeah. it's stuffed. It's so stupid. But here's what's yeah. here's where that comes from, though, and this is something that that people don't generally think about. People will look at those statistics and they'll and they'll they'll act like those statistics are are you know a word from on high, right? But what what uh-huh. is what is not well understood about the way those statistics are gathered and what they represent is that they are they are built by, um, frankly, <laughs> the funniest thing about it, they're built by these white people who don't understand those demographics, and so what yes. what, what they'll do yes. is they will uh, wrap up. Um, the black vote, for example, like you said, the black vote. The black vote is not monolithic. We know for a fact that less than half of people vote anyway. So <laughs> the idea that the black population votes this way is hilarious to me. The number of black working class people who voted for Trump not not because of 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 what they were told or because that's what was in their interest was to vote for yes. a populist like Donald and, Trump as opposed and, to Hillary fucking Clinton and also you know going back to what Kim you said earlier uh even if we can show statistically like this is the whole thing i have a whole thing about like i hate the aggregation of statistics i think it's just like people use it to just lie all the time one of the things um, that's horrible about this, uh, uh, what you were alluding to, Dean, is that uh, even like when we're talking about statistics and we see a certain uh, demographic voted for this candidate and then they try to extrapolate why that is. What is this demographic as some amorphous blob? Why did they vote this way? But the truth is each one person in that demographic could have voted, theoretically could have voted for a completely different reason for that one candidate. Right. And, so and we, have no exactly. idea. we have no way of knowing from the statistics why they voted what, the way they did. Outside uh, of exit polling, you cannot <laughs> tell. Know. And the other, the other question, so, the other issue with that too is if you look at the way those demographics get broken down and talked about, especially in the media, you'll notice there is the black vote, there is the non-white Hispanic vote, and then there is the college-educated white vote, the not-college-educated oh, white vote, the college-educated right, yeah. white women, That's, the not yeah. college educated white women, the college educated white men, the not college educated white men. And it's like, wait a minute. Do you not have these numbers for black people? I I wonder (laughs) if this is the academization of the process where people go to university to study politics or political theory or whatever. And 
the courses are filled up with a lot of mumbo jumbo and a lot of stuff. And, and, and they love statistics, those kind of courses. So therefore it all comes back down to, you know, uh, statistical aggregation research, yes. demographics and so on. And so on. And it becomes a pseudoscience. It's basically phrenology with numbers. Yeah. And <laughs> people are trying to work it out. That's a great <laughs> quote. That's a great quote. And, and you know, and, and this comes closer to home for us. This is what we're seeing with a lot of these quote traditionalists and all this. Yes. What the freaking heck does that even mean? Traditionalism <laughs> is just another word for fundamentalism, where they imagine what the past was like. like yeah, exactly. Oh, no, yeah. So I got in an argument the other day. I'm going to post a picture, a, a drawing of a white family yes. having a barbecue with a heap of guns. Which okay, cool. Made, which was made by some company to sell them products. Like that's what that. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's a grill. It's an advertisement. Like, that's, that's so silly. You're posting an advertisement for a grill. Sorry, I was just saying you're posting an advertisement for a grill. Like it's an ideology. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I know. And then, and then here's the thing. If there was, let's say, let's have that exact photo, but one of those people happens to be black. Latino or have to be trans. Oh, diversity! Oh my God! Like yeah, exactly. typical social justice. It's like what? Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's insane. It's like they can't see. Like a lot of people can't, like like say for example with pop culture. Right? I come across it mm-hmm. with comic books and you know with, you know Star Wars and all that. You know the force diversity thing. The problem shouldn't be what someone's color or gender or even sexual orientation is. The problem should be that they are a poorly written character. Yes. Well, they're in, yes. in the fact so that if, the, someone, the if someone is a character, like no one thinks, oh, great, you know, Sarah Connor is a woman, so I can't enjoy her as a as a strong <laughs> female character. Or Ripley's, a, you know, no one no one questions that who they are as a, as their, what their identifier is yes. because they're well written and well played characters. The problem should be that it's poorly written. But yes. instead, it reveals a certain bias and bigotry in a lot of people that yes. they that they're so upset and offended that you know a character can be of a certain orientation. What's offensive? But at the same it? time, at the same time, they're quite happy to mm-hmm. have you know a, a a an actor in play an Egyptian pharaoh who happens to be from Cambridgeshire in England. You know, oh, like no. Adolf Guinness <laughs> playing a, a Muslim. Uh, Arab, you know, in in Lawrence of Arabia or something like that. They're okay with that because he's a good actor and he plays the part well. So the problem shouldn't be, you know, uh, blackface or, um, uh, quote, diversity hiring. The problem should be poor performance, poor writing. But they don't go down that path. Instead, people go down this other path and then it becomes, I suspect, a lot of people are contrarian because they're anti-certain aspects of society. And it's like, well... If I fall in love with someone and they happen to be of another race or, you know, whatever, I'm falling in love with an individual because that individual and I have connected on a intimate personal level. That's between them and I. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? So that shouldn't be for me it. to justify, rationalize, or politicize mm-hmm. yeah. that love, exactly. that affection. Yes. But for some reason, we live in a world now where if I was to, you know, have a photo with me and that person was of a different race or gender, it's like mm-hmm. suddenly I lose any validity within certain because, communities as a yeah, writer or as a professional fighter or whatever. Now that is perverted. That is bigoted. It is. it is. It is this type of like super online like thinking that like their minds have been completely perverted by being online too much. Where, yes, exactly. Uh, 
like going back to what you're saying with like the, the whole comic book thing and like you know just movies in general like the, the, there was a there was an entire like breaking point for both people both both sides i guess where one on one hand you have these people who are just making like really like cynical shallow characters that are where the, their their only signifier is is their race or their gender and, but then and that's the a problem yeah exactly. that's the issue but then you have the other side attacking their race or gender yeah, exactly like, no, 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 no that's not the problem the problem was exactly. that they just were a shit character and they had no substance that that's what's offensive that's what's offensive about those characters the they had, it was the thing they didn't have and it becomes a snake characters is and it becomes like an infinity award, like where a snake is yeah. eating its own trial. Like, so the let's say the social justice are reacting to the I don't know the the, the right type people, and vice mm-hmm. versa. It becomes a reactionary cycle, yes. and, and and that and that's that's the same thing with like um, uh, forms of feminism. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever way the feminism we're up to now, like it was a reaction to a very real government yes. slash religious dominated patriarchy. Yes. It was a horrible, horrible system. To deny that is ludicrous. Same mm-hmm. with certain uh, affirmative action policies and desegregation actions. That is a real, or even here in Australia, like um, even if they're token, but apologies to the Aboriginal community and Torres Strait Islanders, that is a reaction to very real policies like and very real cultural cultural um, bias. That doesn't mean that the people that suffered under those policies and in that past, some of it not too distant, should then be maligned, you know, marginalized and yeah. told, "Oh, it wasn't that bad because I I can't get a job because you know I'm a white straight guy." Well, that's bad that you're being denied a job because you're a white straight guy. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that it's a reaction, and that's the danger of politics. That's the danger of government itself because the government that can deny a person of a race or a sex in a position is no different to the government that will then give them a position based entirely on their race and their sex. That's right. the stupidity of the whole the monopoly. You, yeah. you, the point that, that people miss, and I've, I've had this conversation with people before, is that people mistake what the nature of law and and thus the nature of government generally. They think that, that law, state law especially, uh, is, is a... Uh, proactive system, but it's not. It can't be. The government as an organization must is definitionally a reactive system. Yeah. And so yeah. any anything that occurs uh, in law, and and that's largely what you've been referring to. We've talked about some cultural stuff, but the, the, a lot of the stuff is being enshrined in law. It's reactive, and the the ability for a reactionary ideology like uh well like neo reactionaryism or like uh, social justice uh, ideology the evangelical social justice ideology which was a reactionary ideology and is a reactionary ideology the um the, the ability for those things to become empowered by this reactionary organization is what's dangerous there's no and, there's no proactive yeah. side to it exactly and and the the perversity of it all is instead of uh, so, so so people that are insecure about uh, independent women, all right, uh, women that decide that they want to be child free, that they might not want mm-hmm. to have a relationship, they don't want to live quote the conventional life that's supposed to be uh, endowed upon women, right? Somehow these strong Chad bros uh, are offended by that. Now instead of being a better man, and instead of disproving the stereotype. What do they do? They become sigmas. They become 
uh, incels. They become these ugly caricatures that the women who are rejecting them have already touted them as being. Like, if if I look at someone and, and... like if someone if 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 someone is turned off women and and hate sorry t- turned off women and says look I'm done with women I'm done with that that's usually based on their own experience as biased as those experiences may be and as much as they might tell themselves their own stories and you know make themselves the hero of it but you respect that you go okay fair enough that's fine that guy's had bad bad yeah. luck it's not going to change my relationship in, with women I hope absolutely but, but absolutely guys that get burned some in reason, like divorces these and men stuff like that who, who will go oh away. well you know. Um, we need traditional relationships. She needs to be in the house. She needs to make me food. I will provide for her and she'll, she'll have babies for me. Mm. That's a good, honest, traditional relationship. And there's a lot of women that do want that. And there's nothing right or wrong with that. But to say that that should be the template for everyone is right. freaking retarded. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it causes the, people to be in situations that are unhealthy too. Like there, there are people I, who in pursuit of that will – um, will dive headlong into situations that are incredibly unhealthy only because that position has been idealized to the point that it has been. Um, yeah. and, and when it comes to conservative values, that's a very specific conservative atomic family value. That doesn't like if we're living in parts of Southeast Asia where it's not uncommon for a man to have a minor wife to have a mistress to even mm-hmm. visit prostitutes frequently, and his wife is condoning that. In some situations, it's a very that is a very patriarchic society, but that is quite common. But he also has to provide for the minor wife. He has to provide for the mistress, right. and so on and so forth. At the same time, you know, like a poly uh, poly sort of thing, like with um, Mormons or uh, certain certain parts of Islam, that's also and it's not all of it is sexual. Like you know, a, a Muslim man can take on his brother's wife because she's a widow. He'll take her into the family. They've just termed it as wife because our mindset, our Western Christian mindset, assumes that means he's sleeping with her, that she is performing the uh, duties of a traditional wife. No, it's just a legal definition or a religious definition. It doesn't mean that he's having sex with her or that he's – it just means he has adopted her into his household. And It's it's just definitions. And that's the trouble with a lot of these – uh, conservative sex and traditional sex is they get caught up too much in definitions and they get yes. caught up too much in their own perspective that they can't understand that heck a polyamorous relationship doesn't necessarily mean it's a sexual relationship it just means right. that hey, i'm seeing this person i'm best friends with them i'm going to go hang out with them because they're doing something that my my, mon- my monogamous sex partner doesn't provide for me that's kind of a polyamorous relationship it's just the term turns people off. Yeah, there's a oh, lot of like definitional issues. And then on, on top exactly. of that, as you said, um, when they talk about, well, a traditional lifestyle, they have they obviously have something in mind, but the word they're using, sometimes they make it seem as if this is like endowed in nature or something, as if this was the oh, only way exactly. people have traditionally lived. And it's like, no, like, um, I don't know if they're familiar with like concubines or things like that. Oh, not, <laughs> to mention, not, to mention, not to mention the fact, the, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself, spent quite a bit of time with prostitutes. With right. sex work. Yes. Around them a lot. Right. And it was, it was sex workers, not soldiers, not tax collectors, not even mm-hmm. people of the, of the, of the, the religious faith there, not government employees or anyone else. It was the sex workers that were the ones that bereaved, that mourned him the most and that were there for him. And yeah. yet yeah. the religion, this religion that they now use as a moral, as, as a moral template in, in, in this situation we're discussing 
forsakes sex workers as if they're a piece of filth and all that. And yet we're seeing in their own resurrection story, the sex workers are the ones that are, you know, uh, synonymous with Christ. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, and, and, and for some reason, they're they the want to pick up Leviticus and they want to go, oh, the dude's dead. You know, it's, it's, I don't get it. It makes yeah, no sense. Yeah. You, you, it always strikes me as one of those things like anyone who has like a, a, some type of perverted ideology will find something to justify it with, right? They'll find something somewhere to justify it with. But it, 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 it's, I, I think you raise a good point there where it, it's like you have so many of these people, right? And, and, um, so many of them just will, I don't know why, so I, I can't read their minds. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I have some suspicions, but it, it always seems to me like these types of people are almost trying to show off for people. Like they want to make their way into a certain in-group and they want to show off about like almost how badass they are uh, in their yeah. beliefs or how, you know, yeah. I am the most traditional it's person. A, it's here, a tread, it's uh, a giant tread measuring Let's not forget Let's not forget, most sex workers know most conservative men better than their own wives know. Yeah. That's a truth. That is a fact. Because I guarantee a lot of these people within our community and that have visited a sex worker at some stage of their life or frequent them. And there are certain um, female, prominent females in the liberty movement that are not so prominent anymore that were also sex workers. And I'm sure some of them have very unique perspectives and positions when it comes to some of these um, religious types. And that's the truth. What like, there's, there's that uh, stereotype of the conservative like, politician, right? Like that's all exactly. Like and and like and and it comes it all comes down to omissions, right? Like um, mm-hmm. uh, there's certain degree people like will go, oh, I love Greek philosophy and all that, and I like, oh, do you like the pederasty? You yeah. know, do you like <laughs> the fact that they're buggering slave boys? Oh no, I just right. I just ignore that. Yeah, you know, or people go about stoicism and they want to talk about Marcus Aurelius. Oh, you mean he owns slave and. And, you know, he could have this privileged perspective because the, the people that he ruled over, you know, didn't get to have that perspective. You know, does it malign their words? Does it does Thomas Jefferson lose value when you read him, when you think to the fact that he owned people and that he owned a woman that he had sex with? Now, <laughs> if, if, if I was to say to anyone that, oh, you know, I've got a, I've got this woman. She's my slave. She's she's I'm a, I'm a slaveholder. Um, I have sex with her. She loves me. She tells me she loves me all the time. <laughs> like, that's that's not a healthy relationship. Like, for some reason, because once this person becomes a powerful, prominent figure of history, they become sacred. Yeah, that is completely debaucherous. That is completely degenerate, and it's mm-hmm. violation of rights. Well, people idealize the people idealize other human beings from the past in a way that is yeah. um, it, that's uh, ignorant of that past. Like the, like. People don't talk about. There are people who will idealize like a pre-industrial society, or they'll idealize the United States during the Industrial Revolution, or they'll idealize the 1950s. Not talking about the fact that the reason that we have the creepy uncle trope is because everybody was running interference for their fucking brother-in-law who was raping their kids. The reason yeah. that those tropes exist is because that's what the culture did at the time. The reason that we have um, these these uh, these jokes. Or whatever it is, is because those are people's actual, uh, uh, um, those are their experiences during that time. We don't talk about the fact that the 1950s, um, the, the, let's just say that marriage wasn't so sacred, uh, in the 1940s and 50s as it is now. Um, not to mention, not to mention the, the sexual harassment. Like, you know, like people will watch Mad Men and go, oh, that's funny, ha ha. But it's like, 
a lot of women in our lifetime still experience it. And it, and it is, I mean, okay. It happens to men, right? If you do amateur theater um, and you're a straight guy, you're going to get a degree of sexual harassment. I know from experience, sure. it's banter or whatever else. You're going to get it. You're going to get some guy who's going to grab you on the ass and make a lewd comment. All right. That happens. Now it's more commonplace for women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's more prevalent. Now it's okay to talk about it because we've had the Me Too movement. But then there's a rejection where people go, oh, well, you know, I like him as an actor, so therefore I don't want to believe it. But we don't know what right? It could have happened. Something could not have happened. But what you're talking about, Dick, is in the 1950s, for a man to slap a woman, to beat a woman, to, um, to rape his wife, that was mm. quite common and accepted. That was accepted. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that was the cultural norm. And is that what people want? Yeah, like, you know I, what I mean, I, I, on Twitter uh, the the other day, and I think Dean, you jumped in this thread, and he was talking about, well, would you rather live culturally in the in the '60s or the 1890s? And I'm like, well, I would rather live in the '60s culturally. Yeah, uh, it's it's actually not like like I ultimately made a joke. '60s are in, from the, in the conservative mind is when everything started going downhill, right? Oh, yeah, uh, people started yeah. speaking back to them and getting uppity, you know, and not going along with uh, with things, and it, everything went downhill for the conservatives in the '60s. And it, but it's like it's like you know, well, well, things are are still not great in the '60s. Uh, and there's still certain cultural, I think, improvements in the 60s. And I know that's probably unpopular to say, uh, yeah. probably in certain like groups, but it, it, I believe it's true that even if you want to say that, you know, some of these uh, cultural movements might have um, uh, become bastardized and turned into something bad, they, they had a good start and they had a justified reason for existing. In the so, 19... I, I, think, I in... think that's the politicization of any movement or identity. Yeah. I think that's the trouble with yes. government itself. And that's that's that perversion and pollution. And, yep. and all we saw in the, in the 60s and 70s and things like that is we just saw underground movements. We saw illegal movements become transparent and become open. That's what that yeah. happens. Because the Stonewall riot is like yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. are you guys married? You're in relationships? Uh, I am in a long-term relationship. No one knows anything yeah, about okay. Jesus' personal life. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I'm what I'm going to say is there's certain intimacies, there's certain things and interactions that you have with your partner. That's mm. unique to you too. That to unique to you guys, right? That is neither yeah. degenerate, nor is it debaucherous, nor is it evil, nor is it wicked, mm-hmm. because you are both consenting and you're both in love, or you're both uh, infatuated, or you're in lust, or whatever. That intimacy is a sacred bond between you, whether it's for a moment or whether it's for uh, weeks, years, or decades. That is that is that that is a, a great thing. Now, these people who are probably not even in relationships or not even healthy ones, not necessarily uh, good ones, have all of these gossipy opinions and perspectives of what makes a good relationship. They have all these decisions and determinations and all that, these fantasies, if you will. And most of it is always fixated around where the PP goes. You know, it's always about, it's always about the sex part. Now it's no one's business. Like, you know, Oh man, that guy's a cuck. Lol. Well, sorry, who cares? That's not my problem. You know, I, I don't need to talk about it. But who's who's the problem for? The people that want to constantly talk about it, I want to denigrate someone. Oh, you know, his missus slept with that dude two years ago. Lol, he's a cuck. Okay. And your missus probably slept with someone two years ago too. Relax. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's a weird thing. Like they want, 
they want also, every woman that they're with and every woman in society to be a virgin, except for them. Right. But, but then they can have their Chad days in the college or whatever, and then suddenly in their 30s or 20s or whatever, they become this pious and dignified individual. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I don't get it. It is a weird born-again yeah. mindset. There's also this, also, that, one of the, one of the things that, that fascinates me about it too is the hypocrisy of the grift. When you're talking about some, somebody like, uh, like these, these masculinity grifters and stuff, and I hate these guys, and I've been very, very vocal oh, about yeah. how much I fucking hate these guys. When one of those guys suddenly, Jack Murphy's the perennial example of this, um, one of these masculinity grifters, uh, oh, it turns out that this dude is sexually a cuck. Like he, he actually does, like that but his his grift is all about attacking that kind of thing and talking about how to be masculine and all this other shit well at that point the level of dishonesty has undermined anything that might have been valuable in that do do you know it's funny you should say that all right so i don't know if you guys follow combat sports at all by any chance um there's 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 okay so in the grappling world right i'm a i'm an mma guy but i have my fingers and all these different pies because people from all over. Anyway, um, in the grappling world, there's this really phenomenal grappler named Gordon. He's like the best grappler of his generation. Absolutely powerful, powerful athlete, really technical, really skilled. He has a social media presence that's a little bit of, you know, on the nose, but that's how people make money these days. On the mats, in the gym, he's a talent. You can't deny that. So his partner, the woman that he's in love with from what I can ascertain, has apparently slept with some of the other men from a gym that he was at. Because, you know, you fall in love with someone that's at a training facility, chances are she slept with someone else. There's more female and more men to females, right? So the constant attack against him is that he is a cuck. That, lol, it doesn't matter how many fights he wins, he's still a cuck. (laughs) Well, okay. I don't understand what that has to do with anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's a slur. It's just another slur. Like, basically, they're saying... You know that woman that you're in love with? She's a slut. Right. You know, that's what they're saying. And on top of that, let's pretend that a man does get some sexual gratification from watching his partner have sex with another person. So what? Who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what? This also goes, I think this also goes back to like, um, um, there's something about how I think, and this isn't just on the right, this happens on the left too, I, but but uh, often, uh, historically, uh, what I'm saying about happened on the right, where you had people on the right who would always, like, demonize uh, gay people, right? So if you were gay, this way you were, like, not only a bad person, but you were probably also a threat to children, right? This was a very common, very common, like, rhetorical point. Um but then when you realize that when, when like over time, and this is how like, you know, the, the kind of like the gay acceptance movement kind of like grew was like, oh, yeah, I have my brother who's gay or something like that. Or, you know, my uh, my my sister or, you know, whoever, you know, just whoever a person in your family. And they're like, they're a good person. They're just like anyone else. You know, so uh, it was kind of that uh, like that snapping point or the breaking point where you realize, oh, all these people saying they're evil when they're just like everyone else, really. It's just and, like it didn't map to reality. And sexuality is very fluid. Like um, mm-hmm. uh, a person, let's say a female, she could be sexually attracted to another female, not to all females, but to right. another female. And she might right. have a sexual experience with that female. That doesn't necessarily make her bi or lesbian. That's just a term that others have put upon her, which goes back to that demographic conversation. Mm-hmm. A man may fall in love. He may have 
Um, in fact, I'm writing a book of short stories where I'm going to try to cover this a little bit, but he might fall in love or have a sexual liaison with someone else because he may be attracted to that individual. That doesn't mean that he's gay or that he's bi or he's even confused. It just means that he's attracted to that individual. And, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people can't understand is sexuality is very unique and specific to individual categorization and all that. That's just a collective social need, a, a sociological one, even like to say, Oh, you know, all gay men are pedophiles or that sure. all lesbians are untrustworthy or whatever. These are just things that outsiders are putting upon these people. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because uh, if you make homosexuality illegal, it makes it go underground. So therefore, by being underground, it's associated with criminal elements. We see the same exactly. thing with um, exactly. with drug. Yeah. Yeah. We see the same thing with drug usage um, and all that sort of stuff, you know. But the same cultural, uh, sorry, the same cultural moral uh, panic that we have when it comes to sexuality is no different to what we had during the Pokemon Go theory period, right? <laughs> Or, or uh, Dungeons and Dragons, or the yes. Satanic Panic that happened in America. Yes. This is all in living memory. Yeah, but or like video games, comp- screen school shooters, or yeah, like this exactly. over and over again. Rap music, heavy metal music, comic yes. books, on and on and on. Yes. But sexuality is the constant because sexuality is something that religions and cultures and government itself are fascinated and fixated with controlling, and. Mm-hmm. It becomes, and I think it also plays into people's need to gossip because yes. most people, um, even the best of us, we, we like to gossip and, you know, blather on about things that are none of our business because it's, and we do it with celebrities, we do it with uh, politicians and that, right. where more people are fascinated by the fact that, you know, um, uh, what's her name, the, the, the Democrat lady that pretended to be a Native American. Um, oh, Elizabeth Warren. Oh, yeah, yeah Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> people are fascinated about Elizabeth Warren being a sex mistress because that would make her fucking awesome. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, it would be the one thing in her life that was actually, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. They tried turning it into a slur, but it gave her, what it did is it coloured her character. It actually made her character interesting suddenly. And then we found out it was a lie. It's like, oh, that sucks. She does you know, have that. She, when well, Nancy Pelosi comes out and she's like, horrible uh, a, she was a sex talent. master. Or, you know, that the piss tape was real for Donald Trump. You know? <laughs> It, all, it doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change how many children they killed or contributed to killing. Yeah. It just makes their just makes their person more interesting and coloured, and you coloured in. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, there's an interesting sort of because I'm sure all of these traditionalist people. I'm sure nearly every single one of them. You know, sorry, Gandhi. Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. The the I I, I was actually to your point. There is an interesting. Um, uh, the, the sexuality in the in especially in the West uh, w- is one of those things that I've had long conversations with my dad about um, because my dad uh, grew up in the seventies uh, and, and into the eighties, and one of the one of the things that's so interesting about about him is that he grew up in this sort of Bible Belt sort of uh, culture. That is incredibly prominent, <clears throat> and part of the reason that people respond the way they do to to these things, uh, be they sexual or even cultural, is this level of sexual repression that exists in the West, in particular, especially the Protestant West, where yeah. you have this 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 repression that makes people feel guilty for even enjoying sex, 
And yep. it's it's almost something that I know from it's it's true to my personal life. It's something that you have to get over. <laughs> like as you grow up, you have to I, like in, into your late teens and into your twenties, you have to get over that level of guilt. Like you have to well, because you you know that that's not like real. That was implanted no, I, I, in you. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I I was a Catholic, and so I had Catholic guilt, right? Sure. So. And as a teenager, I was secretly writing in the very early days of the internet, I was writing erotic fiction under a pen name. So I'd write for a website and I'd write, you know, certain stories that people would put requests in and I'd get paid, you know, the old Western Union days to get paid. And I was doing that. But I would have tremendous Catholic guilt because I was 15 at the time doing that. Mm -hmm. And so I would get my rosary beads out and I'll do these prayers and on and on and on. So I'm doing this libertine, debaucherous, degenerate thing but then at the same time, because it was a form of expression and sex is awesome and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm repenting and I'm feeling absolutely guilty, but I've hurt no one, you know, like there's been no one harmed out of it. And then, but obviously when I became an atheist, it became more at peace with it, but it takes a long time because you still have the remnants of that guilt, like what you're discussing, even as a, as probably as a Protestant, because you're ingrained that temptation and that, certain thoughts that are supposedly impure are wicked and evil. And here's one thing going about Western um, perspectives. I'm reading this book at the moment. It's written in the 60s um, on homosexuality. It's talking about the legality and social norms and all that. But one thing that's really interesting, and I, and I think I mentioned this book up uh, to you, Ace, in one of your mm-hmm. uh, Twitter debates um, with some of the traditionalists or whatever. Anyway, yeah. um, uh, basically it was – when the United States and and the British were trying to put on foreign aid after World War II in a lot of countries, that a lot of the anti-homosexual laws were passed in some Arab countries and in the East because they were very tolerant in some communities of homosexuality. They were like, um, you know, famously, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the French philosopher that wrote Democracy, um, uh, Amer- Democracy in America. Um, what's his oh. name? Oh, oh yeah. shit. <laughs> I'll think of his name in a minute. I'll think of his name in a minute. Anyway, famously, him and his friend, they went to Egypt and they, um, uh, they, uh, his friend wanted him to go in and have sex with a young boy. And he's like, no, 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 that's okay. And then his friend goes, no, look, do it for philosophical reasons. He had the experience. So they oh, go and they have sex. Pardon? De Tocqueville. Yeah, that's right. Thank yes, you very much. That's it, yes. De Tocqueville. Anyway, so then um, I think it was him, yeah. And then it goes in there and, um, you know, has sex. And then his friend goes, that was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, And then um, uh, do you want to do it again? No, to do it once is for philosophy. To do it twice is for, you know, to debauchery. Now, I I like to think I'm a bit philosophical. I don't think under any circumstances would I have sex with a, a young boy, least of all a prostitute young boy. But some people go, oh, that's an interesting story. There's a moral to that story. But two, that shows that in the Muslim East, that this homosexuality, that this, you know, whatever, uh, pederastry, even in this circumstance, was quite prevalent. And it was very prevalent, but it was Western governance and Western cultural norms, which which fermented a lot of the fundamentalists, but also uh, introduced a lot of um, certain sexuality and sexual norms. That, that's obviously not... Uh, an absolute, but there is a lot of influences there that are happening. It's only in the last maybe 20 or 30 years 
that the whole rainbow flag movement has become so prominent. But before that, the very cops that are going into gay pride marches and talking about uh, inclusion were beating the shit out of homosexuals, you know, yeah, in I, the parklands. Um, I mean, the Stonewall riot, right, which is probably one of the most famous yeah. incidents in America about this. Uh, there were obviously others, but the Stonewall riots were like, it was the tipping point, right? Because at, at first you you had cops who would go into like these uh, clubs or, or bars or whatever, and they would just essentially shake them down and bra- uh, break it up and, you know, or whatever, any type of like underground activity. Um, and Stonewall was one of the first times in, in where they said, nope, we're not going. And they started pelleting the, uh, the cops with like bricks and bottles and said, we're, we're not leaving. Um, so they, they, you really, that's when you really saw a shift culturally. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of point. But the, the, one of the interesting, you make an interesting point, that idea that sort of the post Islamic re, uh, revolution, is that, is that something that's in this book? Is that the, the sort of post Islamic revolution, um, fundamentalism, uh, that, that kind of, uh, Especially in in Iran and in Iraq, uh, were... no, the, the book, the book, look, this book, it's an interesting book. Um, it starts off with like primitive and primal cultures and how a lot of men are just sexual. So basically, it gives an example in some tribes at the time, which were still untouched as such, um, would be getting um, masturbated by other men or other men are performing, um, you know, head jobs on or whatever. Um, and then the anthropologist would ask these, are you homosexual? He says, no, I prefer to have sex with my wife or with a woman, but women don't want sex all the time, so we just make do when we can. Now, most men understand this. The only difference is that they've just taken a very um, different approach. Now, I know some people. I know a person um, who has told me that after he broke up with his partner, him and his friend would, would do things to each other while watching porn that he did in the moment because it was a moment of intimacy and it was a release and all this sort of thing. I don't judge him for it. It's not my business to judge. He's okay with it, but he is otherwise very heterosexual. Mm-hmm. But this book discusses the definitions of homosexuality and, and the links between how people always assume that it's um, pedophiles and gays. But one thing they found interesting is that a lot of the pedophiles are actually traditionally straight men, like married men yes. that were committing these 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 acts. And I think and it comes back to that South Park all, episode. And, and statistically, uh, where you find the most like sexual abuse of children is in families. Like, yes, yeah, it's familiar. Like you said, about the creepy yeah. uncle. Yep, yes. exactly. It's a person in a trusted position. Now, yes. now the, the, I think we should I'll, I'll make – there's a difference between a, let's say, a pre-prepiescent child that's forced against their will or manipulated versus a – 16 year old who falls in love with a 19 year old sure it gets very it gets very you know complicated there right right because these days you can literally you can cancel yourself for even saying that you you know whatever right but but before that um those people are generally a trusted individual whether it's a teacher a priest because they're around these people they develop a bond and a sexual attraction or a family member and then often conservative societies, it doesn't matter if it's West or Eastern, generally cover it up or pretend that it's normal. Yeah, they run interference. And so there's, yeah, exactly. And so we, we so there's so much sexual abuse that have gone on. And this, even when I was coaching people that had suffered a lot of abuse and violence, many of them were unreported because it was easier not to report it because it would upset the family. 
Yeah, right. it's going to cause a problem at the next reunion or whatever, or it's going to or it's going to break grandma's heart. Like those yeah. those kinds of things. That, that that's a <laughs> that, again. I, I make that point about like the 1950s. Yeah, that yeah, was exactly. happening all the time, and nobody fucking talked about it because yeah. it, it's it's one of those like you said, it would upset the family, or it would, uh, or you know, why are you going to bring legal trouble down on your brother or brother in law or whatever it is? Like that's. Um, that's <laughs> people don't know how common that is. Well, the other thing that also comes down to it is, um, is like, um, like there's there's a movie I haven't watched it all. One of my good friends was telling me about it, ordinary decent female, where basically this woman is raped, violently raped, and then um, she kills herself, I believe. And then I haven't seen the movie, so I'm just paraphrasing this, the plot from being told. Uh, her friend goes out, goes on a bit of a vengeance rampage against these other guys because they get off on the rape because they're ordinary, decent young men, et cetera. But a lot of people, like, say, football groups in the army, I saw it when I was in the army, this sort of stuff, they will close ranks and they will have a certain brotherhood or a certain mateship and they will disregard the victim as a blip or they'll omit it. And that victim is discarded mm-hmm. like a used condom. And they'll go, yeah, but I like him. You know, they do it with politicians. They do it with celebrities. And they'll, yep. they'll do it. Um, this is not just a right thing. This is a left thing as well. Like, you know, we see it with, um, uh, what's that director? Uh, Roman Polanski, for example, where yes. you know, he's still considered this great artist, even though what, what he did. <laughs> People yeah. will ignore certain things because it will allow them to ignore it. Now, when it's a family and it's really interconnected and you're in love with someone and you go, I love grandpa. Grandpa's always been good to me, but he did molest my cousin. Right, you know? right, yeah. So people, yeah, people, there's a, there's an articulation in our minds that people will allow ourselves to do it. Um, you know, a guy will uh, beat his wife. I only hit her once, and his mates will go, "Yeah, sometimes I get out of line." You know, you, you ruptured her facial. You know, yeah, you her, broke her, her orbital socket. You know, but whatever. But, but the people allow it. They just think boys will be boys, and this is something that. And this goes back to the conversation of feminism. This is the rejection, especially these nomadic women. This is part of the cultural norm that's being rejected. I mean, a uh, perfect example, I just rewatched um, the movie The General's Daughter. I don't know if you guys have seen it with uh, John Travolta. And, uh, I've about, not. Uh, basically, it's about rape in the military, but it's about this particular lady who's the general's daughter as such. Um, but the U.S. military specifically has so much rape occurring in it. And because there is a brotherhood, there is a family, and it's still very much, contrary to the propaganda and the advertising of diversity, it's still very much a male-dominated industry, uh, culture. The rape culture that occurs within it is very prominent. And to deny that is really gross, but it's once again, it comes back down to the feminism, the social justice, the all this. It's a rejection of that. It's just a a very convoluted and ugly politicized rejection of it. But right. instead of trying to fight those rejections and trying to fight a woman that wants to be child free, that doesn't want to have a sexual relationship with a man anymore, instead of trying to fight her or them, let's look in the mirror and say, all right, how can we stop that from happening? Cause right. Domestic violence is pretty fucked up. Yeah. There's always something like to these movements. That's the thing. That's why I like really despise reactionaryism. Like it, it's yeah. just like a, a concept it, is that with all these things that you're reacting to, they all have some merit. There's some amount in there, generally speaking, that is like a legitimate criticism that people should be like disturbed by. Yes. Least, right? People there's aren't. Something, there's always something there 
like underneath that should just not be hand waved. And I feel like the problem with reactionaries is that they're willing to just hand wave it all the way to own the other side, right? It's like, yeah, oh, that's everything right. you that's- say is just wrong because, you know, I hate you. <laughs> or, it's about, or it's about winning the politics game. Yes. Right. Yes. People aren't yeah. inventing demons to slay. Like when we talk about, yeah. when we talk, when we hear, when we have, uh, God, I hate this fucking term, a cultural conversation about the way that uh, that police interact <clears throat> with black men specifically. We we have that conversation culturally, and and people will act like there's nothing wrong there at all. But one of the interesting things about it, and this actually happened again, <laughs> I was talking to my dad about it, and he said, uh, you know, he he, I was talking to him, and he said, I, I didn't really think there was a problem until I had a different reaction to the black guys doing First Amendment audits of police on YouTube. And it's like, that dude has balls. The white guy is probably going to be okay. But a black guy doing a First Amendment audit Mm -hmm. on a cop, the reaction, the visceral reaction was different. And it's one of those things that's like, oh, there's obviously a problem here because I know this is different. Like, I know yeah. there's something else here that's not there when the white guy's doing it. And so you well, can, you, like, people yeah. will experience it personally, and it's like, yeah, they're, now you get it. You get it. I, I, um, you, here, like, it, it, I'm sure it's the same with how, um, I mean, do you remember the 1980s and the 1990s, there was a lot of uh, movies about Native Americans, um, you know, Thunderheart and War Party and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. Dancing with Wolves, et cetera, where there was a moment where people wanted to discuss how um, the Native Americans were treated and, you know, like people would go, oh, it's left-wing propaganda or whatever else. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that these communities are treated this way, that they're lied to, yeah. that they're portrayed. And that's no different to here in Australia when it comes to the Aboriginals. Sure. So every time there's, there's something that comes out, you know, like um, there's a, a, you know, an Aboriginal person might um, die in police custody, custody, there's always the victim blaming. You know, we see it when, you know, with George mm-hmm. Floyd, for example, there's always that, well, there's no way that you could choke someone because I did the maths and like that guy only weighs <laughs> 200 pounds and yeah. at that angle, you can only exert that much and the human trachea will die. You know, it's like, dude, what? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's no, <laughs> shut up, you know, but they'll, yeah, they'll get into it. these convoluted arguments, but what they're seeing, yeah, but he had fentanyl in his system and he, he's a domestic abuser. Doesn't matter. Ted Bundy right. was treated better, you know? Right. Yeah. The reality well, is like, that we saw that with Breonna Taylor and we talked about the Breonna Taylor thing on, on, uh, on a recent episode, but yeah, you I saw that with yeah. a lot with Breonna Taylor talking about he, she shouldn't have been dating these kinds of guys, yada, yada, yada. And then it turns out, no, 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 the cops lied on the warrant. She wasn't dating those kinds of guys. And I'm not saying that those arguments are only invalid when they're wrong. I'm just saying the, the initial reaction of, of reacting that way ends up being factually incorrect and nobody yep. fucking cares anymore at this point because it's old fucking news but and and if you believed if you believed in the government if you believed in the system of government if you believed in the legal common law system or whatever you believe that the devil should have his day in court right he should have a right to fair trial he should be right to be heard we don't live in that world anymore like we that world was always bigger than bias in the past but now it's open now it's people are guilty by association they're guilty by ideology they're guilty by whatever and they're not made guilty necessarily by the state or the courts, but by by millions of voyeurs looking through a digital prism, making these decisions and just deciding that they're guilty from the from the get go. Yes, and, that's, and this is and, the thing. 
Sorry. Oh, by the way, it was Voltaire. It was Voltaire. Oh, yeah, the, Voltaire. The okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't the Dakotaville. Yeah, I got to mix okay. that up here. Sorry, God. No, no, yeah. Um, and that, that's something um that really infuriates me too. Because when I when I'm ta- when I'm talking to people on Twitter a lot, they'll often talk about like, well, this group is favored by the regime, or this group is favored by the oh, regime, yeah. or whatever. And it's like, look, I I, I don't know like how, like how like how much history they've like absorbed in the past, but just because the state is seemingly trying to like appeal or appease some group at one time, that does not mean that they really have their best interests at heart or that they're really going out of their way to like defend these people. It's like, no, they're using these people as human shields in like a rhetorical sense and sometimes a literal sense to, uh, to essentially grant them some type of social capital and to cause division between social groups. Uh, And and, and both extremes do the same thing. Like, sorry, like so say Blair White, is an acceptable trans woman, but mm-hmm. these other trans people are the regime, and therefore right, all trans right. people are the regime. Milo Yiannopoulos, for a while, was a champion of the alt right, mm-hmm. but all other gay men are the representatives of the social justice gay movement, or right. the the left does it. Um, anytime there's a conservative female politician, she is completely disregarded and she's made out to be a Sarah Palin type. Yeah. But that every other woman is Amy a proud, strong, capable Margaret Thatcher or Bronwyn Bishop here in Australia. All these other people, these women, Ayn Rand, for example, they're turned, yeah. they're denigrated into these horrible creatures. Yes. But yes. anyone on the left is, oh, she's so brave. She's so strong. <laughs> she, and it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's so stupid. And it yeah. all comes down to collective identities. Yeah. And it's, yeah, instead well, of treating them as an individual and discussing their yes. uh, talking points or their character traits, they get turned into demographics, into identifiers, and it's gross. Yeah, and every sing and every single like every single time you talk to one of these people, you can always tell that they're oh, you're only signifying like some type of collectivist uh, like characteristic or something for, or that you've like, tried to identify between these groups. You're not actually speaking to them as if they're individuals. You're, you're only looking at them as some aggregate uh, that doesn't really, you know, exist in hard reality. Like, you know, uh, an individual does. You're just, you're just trying to like uh, create some type of narrative around a certain group of people. So you can either dismiss them or, you know, pedest- put them on a pedestal to some regard or something like that. And it's like, no, uh, it, it really is a gross, like dehumanized, like um and just sense of like oh either this person is special because of the group he's a part of and this person is like uh worth wor- th- these people are worthy of demonization because of the group they're a part of and i think this is why this is the irony of it all like we, we saw in the 90s through the 2000s we saw a, a wilderness of the internet where mm-hmm. where the internet was pretty awesome we had access like you know we wouldn't be communicating with one another, for example, if we didn't have this technology, if we didn't have right. social media and all that. So it's beautiful like that. And that's, that's that yes. old world wilderness frontier. But at the same time, it's also fracturing and it's um, disintegrating the diversity of, you know, ideas and thoughts and conversations right. and so on and so forth. And now that's why a lot of people are buying dumb phones. Yep. And that's why a lot of people are not even using social media anymore. Yeah, and that's why they're becoming almost uh, disconnected, if you will, and a lot of them are just being liberty. They're just living it now yeah. because they don't want to be. They don't want to have to justify 
someone doesn't want to have to justify their sexual orientation or their sexual right. kinks to some neckbeard hiding behind a bunch of memes. Right. It's and not that ultimately what, it should be the stopping point. It's like, who are you? Like, who am I? Yeah, yeah. I well, this is, myself. One of the like, things that causes uh, 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 let's, let's do a thought audit. Let's go on OnlyFans and report all these women that are making money. Right. Well, oh, hang on. God. You have to go onto OnlyFans to find these people. You're going to them. You know what I mean? They're, like they're, they're not they're not contacting you, going right. to your place of business and saying, "Hey, look at my boobies." Right? right. right. You're, you know, like they, these people are contacting them. They're seeking them out. Like I didn't even know what OnlyFans was until all of these people were making memes about it. Well, the device is like, nature. What, I, I, what is that going to do? That's not going to accomplish their goals anyway. Like, no. what you think? Yeah. Hey, reporting these people is going to give you your traditional society. It's like, no, yeah. you're stupid. You're just hurting people. That's one all of the you're doing. That, uh... A lot of women, a lot of women have had to do sex work at some stage in their life. Okay. Not all, a lot of women. Sure. Whether they regretted it, whether they just put it in their past or whether they own it is, is on them. It is neither a negative, a positive or a neutral thing. It's an individual thing. Whatever caused that individual to go down that path is for them to know. I have had to do manual work. I was a professional fighter. I had to climb inside of a cage wearing underwear to punch, kick, and throw another man that did no harm by me so that groups of individuals could excitedly exalt themselves, and then I got given money. <laughs> now, that was I was cuckolding other people's violence and instincts and desires through my own actions. How is that really any different to sex work? It's if I was not. to get on camera and I was to to throw kicks and punches naked because someone might get sexual gratification out of that, I can't stop if someone gets sexual gratification out of me picking up another man and throwing him in the ground. That's for them. Like you can't control how other people derive something, you know, what they derive from what you're doing. If they're willing to pay you for that, if, they, if someone's going to pay you five thousand dollars for your socks, man, come on. It's not <laughs> like, just that. Though. If someone's going to ten thousand dollars for your bath water. You were talking about it's, the divisive nature of the. You were talking about kind of how uh, social media and stuff has caused this sort of thing. And this is one of the interesting things that Edward Snowden actually wrote about in his book was the idea of the permanent digital identity. That the yeah, wild yes. west that you were describing was you were you were everyone on the internet is a dog. Everyone on the internet is a dog, and it was true. Like in that time when you didn't have, there wasn't a permanent digital identity. Nobody had a brand. It was, if you got booted off a forum for flaming, you made a new account. Like it was, it was that kind of thing. And, and nobody took it too seriously because again, everyone on the internet was a dog. Now everyone on the internet is a brand. And yeah, it, exactly. and people, people value this and they use it to make pronouncements and other people take it seriously, which is well, the greater yeah, issue. You're right. Is how seriously everyone, people take it. Yeah. And everyone uses social media as a press release. You know, exactly. hey guys, we just went to lunch. We had this. Hey guys, you know, like, everything's an announcement. Like whether it's to a very particular group in a closed community, like your friends and families, or it's lost a degree of intimacy. So everything is now. Um, uh, produced specifically for external consumption. Right. But the double-edged sword of that is we can get cancelled and it's not like everyone's going about cancel culture as left thing. Well, I mean, come on, the right's pretty good at cancelling too. 
Like, you know, like it's, 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 it's a both thing. Like you can get canceled from your own peers. You can get canceled from your own community. You can get canceled from your own family. People have been canceling one another for quite some time. The difference is what are we being canceled for? Well, like, James if Gunn, I was to go on Twitter right. tomorrow, right? Or today. Yeah. And I was to share my erotic writing. <laughs> I would get unfollows. Sure. I would guarantee I'll get unfollows. If, 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 if at some stage, uh, I entered the chat when it comes to debating people. I would, it'll be used against me. It's a bit like, say, putting up that you're a Ptolemist. <laughs> you know, right. I mean? it's going to intentionally. It's going to. Uh, you know, you're going to. You're going to draw a certain reaction out of people, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, why no, is it? I'm, I can't I'm, I'm write with you a on sex that. story. I'm with you on that 100%. Actually, I draw porn, and nobody knows what my Instagram account is for that <laughs> at all. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's, like nobody let's nobody knows, knows what it is. For an artist to do some comics. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, that, but that's my point. But whereas if I, write a, I wrote, a, wrote a short story book about war, right, and it's a horrible – it's kind of a horrible thing. It's an anti-war perspective. But I can write about a child being bayoneted and blown to pieces and completely ripped to shreds. And that'll be either entertaining or, once again, oh, dear, that's horrible. But if I write something that someone gets sexual arousal that has nothing to do with a child or anything like that, get sexual arousal from that pleasure from or desire from or whatever, might even help them with their own relationship. That is considered debaucherous and degenerate. But I can can then go on and say, oh, my God, I am so glad that we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. That taught those Japs a lesson. <laughs> yeah. No, that, you know, that's such a good point too, because like there always has been this thing in like the West and I, I'm sure other places, but I know specifically the United States in particular, that um, there's always been this thing where it's like violence, extreme amount of violence. And I'm not saying, you know, you, I'm not in favor of any type of censorship, of course, but I'm just saying, but there is a hypocrisy here where it's like, the most like brute you can show the most brutal violence or depict the most brutal violence imaginable and people are like oh okay you know some people will be you know upset by it but the vast majority of people are like all right you know that that's cool but the the slightest like like sensual insinuation and people will lose their shit (laughs) Um, yeah exactly i don't understand america's fascination with blurring out the bum crack (laughs) <laughs> like I don't get why the bum crack is so taboo for Americans. Oh, uh, when Janet Jackson's boobies, uh, whatever, were on the Super Bowl, how that was such an abhorrent thing. It, the rest of the world, like Australia, we're like, okay, and like I, right. it just made no sense. That like, Janet it makes no sense as. The Janet Jackson incident led what? directly to the death of radio. The, the this these things are are causally connected. The Janet Jackson incident got um got the Puritans so upset that they started writing letters to the FCC anytime anything untoward happened over the airwaves, and it, it directly led to the FCC cracking down on radio uh, in the early two thousands. And that radio is dead. Nobody listens to radio anymore. Nobody listens to DJs. Half of the radio stations are, are, they don't even have a DJ. They're just a jukebox. Like the, the, like a whole art form, a whole art form on the public airwaves died because people freaked out over Janet Jackson's tit. Yeah, that's crazy, and, that, and that's the cancel culture of the of the of the right. I mean, oh, yeah. t- take Howard Stern for example. Like, you don't have to listen to the guy. Like, if you don't like him, just don't listen to him. It's that easy. Yeah. But who was the ones that wanted to cancel him and take him off the airway? Oh like, yeah, you know I mean, like it's like it, it, all these shock jocks, like whether it's uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh or whatever. Like, don't listen to them. 
<laughs> it's yeah. it's the same as a podcast. Like people want to cancel Joe Rogan. Don't listen to him. Right. It's the easiest <laughs> thing to do. But for some reason, we live in a world where people are offended by the idea that someone else could be consuming something that they Maybe. themselves do yes. not enjoy or like. And then they, they create this uh, magical fairyland in their head where this person is being groomed, recruited, or uh, infected with a dangerous belief. And they may then become a, a, you know, a horrible creature in society um, because they listen to Rush Limbaugh or Howard Stern or, you know, saw a booty. Um, H.L. Mencken has this fantastic quote that I love. And it's like, uh, he's, he, the quote goes like, Puritanism is the uh, the uh, creeping fear that someone somewhere is having fun. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's and, and, like, it's, it, it, yeah. and it's the belief that you can dictate what fun is allowed. Like, you know, like say um, the, the, the chocolate sundae or the ice cream sundae. The, the reason why that became a sundae, like, you know, because they weren't allowed to serve treats or whatever else on a sundae, so they had to create some – I can't remember the exact thing, but – they had to, because of some parts of the US, they had to create a hybrid where it wasn't a shake or whatever else. So it could be consumed. You know, there was a lot of reason. There's a lot of musical things and, and, and mm-hmm. artistic things where people have had to circumvent the moral laws and the moral codes to get past these decisions made by a very few of outraged individuals just right. to satisfy what yeah. became a cultural norm. And it's ludicrous. And that kind of goes back to like the like kind of the nomadic like ethos you were talking about before, right? Where it's like you have certain people who just kind of like break off and they do build their own thing or do their own thing to get around these sort of restrictions. Okay, let's let's say all right, hypothetical situation. Let's say I meet this young lady. I go to the beach um, when summer comes and I chat to her. She's living in a van. We have a great conversation. She's in the area for two to three weeks. Um. She goes, hey, you know, we, we develop friendship over a few days and we exchange social medias and she comes over to my house and, you know, we, um, you know, make the naughties, et cetera, and we develop a very friendly, intimate relationship. She goes, I'm going to go to 3,000 kilometers away, um, you know, for a few months. Is that all right? Yeah, of course. It's your life. You know, it's not for me to decide. All right. She disappears. We still keep in touch with her. She might do the same thing with someone else, right? Now, mm-hmm. the so, so the, 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 People, if I fall in love with her, my feelings suddenly dictate the ownership levels. If I'm okay with that and she's okay with it, that's fine. But if I suddenly become completely enamored and in love with this girl and she's not in love with me, she's not comfortable with that. She, I know exactly who she is beforehand and she's told me up front. I'm going to get people that are going to say, oh, my God, that sucks, man. That's so unfair. That's not good. Oh, right. Poor oh you, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we live in that world now where emotionality, of all sorts has intersected into morality and into policy where people get involved and attached to something emotionally and their emotional reaction determines how powerful their opinions are on something. They can't be rationalized or reason. And yeah. everyone goes on about the left being, you know, ah, crying. And it's the right as well. They get caught up oh, in this emotionality weird. as well. You burn a flag in front of a patriot. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> Yeah. They, they are completely mad. If you say something bad about the military on a national day oh of remembrance, yeah. you criticize Christopher Columbus or Captain Cook, you know, you, you criticize the heaven forbid, you go to so called libertarians and you tell them that the founding fathers of the United States were slave owners right. that were not really yeah. pro liberty after all. 
that is that, that you'll get an emotionality. And it's Absolutely. the same thing that's, you know, and so what happens is people go, oh, that person doesn't live a very healthy lifestyle. Who are they to drive around the country and live free like that? Know, there's probably going to be someone listening out there who thinks like, well, oh, we're like downplaying the left, you know, canceling people and stuff. It's like, no, no. But I think it's, it's important to know that the right really is one of the original people, the one of the original like groups who created cancel culture in the first place, like in the 60s, all the way through, you know, till. And what, and what is left and right? I've seen, I've seen you being forced into this, yeah. I see you've been forced in this argument. What exactly is the left and the right? Like, to me, yeah. my understanding, my understanding um, from a, a, a non-American perspective, mm. where the word liberal still has meaning, yeah. um, the left was more of an internationalist egalitarian movement. The key feature of yeah. it was that it was internationalist, internationalist. Yeah. Now, the right was a nationalist movement, i.e., you know, like a nation state, a principality or whatever. Right. That was the key distinction. And that's why the international was so prominent for communists and socialists and anarchists in mm-hmm. the past. These people that identified as different types of life, like anarchists and all that in the past, syndicalists and so on and so forth, they were internationalists. It was workers of the world unite, not workers of Nebraska, not workers of New right, York, right, not yeah, workers yeah. of the United States. Now, left and right have gone to become a nationalist phenomenon. Now we yeah. use words like globalist or some crap like that. That just means world government. That's not internationalist. Right. For us, yeah. as anarcho-types, we probably want people to be free all over the world. Yeah. That is an internationalist thing. This conversation is internationalist. We probably have more philosophically and ideologically and probably even hobbies in common with one another than we do each other's neighbours. Right. Yeah, our yeah. neighbours. I, I got people, I got some people kind of upset when I called uh, anarchism in a moral egalitarian ethic, uh, which yep. it is. Uh, but if he is like, I, there's a certain uh, like emotional charge with that word because when most people hear egalitarian, they think socialism, they think economic egalitarianism, right? They but think let, uh, everyone. But let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. If you were to, sorry, if you were to read. Um, 19th century um, fictions and non-fictions that are egalitarian, let's say Upton Sinclair or something. Yeah. Um, these left-wing things. These things were written from a very compassionate and empathetic perspective. Yes. The, the reason for me personally, I think that a lot of communists and left-wing people became prominent in the developing world and in poverty-stricken regions is because, one, they cared, and, two, they were talking about it. Yes, While absolutely. the right, these people that are talking about free markets, Milton Friedman went to a dictator to help him with his economic policies. Right. He wasn't going to the slums of Chile or South America and talking to yes. the people. It wasn't a trickled-up effect. It was a trickle-down effect. And yes. the left will always own Austrian economists, or, uh, sorry, uh, Harvard School economic, economists because yes. of that. Yes. And the trouble is, the left, most people of the left, the real left, not the political left, they want to help the world environmentally and socially and all that. They want to stop slave labor that's occurring because it's mm-hmm. pretty fucking prominent all over the world. They want to stop um, all these horrible situations, whether it's a worker's situation or environmental catastrophes. Yes. They do that, but they, they, don't, uh, they don't articulate it. They don't get beyond the whole communism thing or the socialism thing and the only reason is because that provides them with a template because the communists and the socialists were the ones in the first place that were talking about it right i I, this is a a really great point too because um on one hand this is the difference between like 
So, so whenever you're going to try to convince someone, right, of something, um, oftentimes it doesn't even matter if your ideas are like correct or not, if the person thinks that you're a threat to them or that you're just not compassionate to them at all in the first place, right? So even if your ideas are correct, if you go about it in a way that seems like disingenuous, you're not likely at all to convince that person. And I think this is where the left generally wins is I don't think like, their arguments are that great when you actually like analyze them in any sense. But when you, when you look at like the rhetoric they have, they very much do have this, like I'm, I'm supporting the common man uh, type, type of thing. Um, also, and that is very powerful to a lot of people. And, and exactly. And also outside of very few things, um, the right would probably be more on moral issues and, and abortion, for example. And sometimes the isolationist perspective, like, you know, you're, um, mm. Uh, the, the, the bring the troops home. That could be a right wing and a left wing thing. But with the left, uh, oftentimes the real left want to talk about issues. They want to talk about um, very specific issues, and they'll get caught up in those issues. And they don't necessarily fill in the details outside of those issues. They have a very good micro perspective, but a very poor macro perspective. And so, mm-hmm, communism, yeah. communism, and socialism is the answer. But <laughs> If you actually have a conversation with a lot of the radical left and leftists that are on the ground doing things, the ones that are cleaning, you know, the oil-stricken shellfish or the ones that are helping um, people all over the world, they will be very amenable to our philosophies when it comes to non-coercion and stuff like that. A lot of them will probably oh, yes. don't realize it. Like, you can talk to them a lot easier, generally speaking, than you can to people of a more politicized left or right. Well, and I, I think, found exactly that phenomenon too. I've talked especially about, when it comes to anti-war. Look at yes. how many people like say Scott Horton has on his show that are yeah. all walks of life. He doesn't talk about every now and then he interjects his libertarian um, philosophy, but but he he is on point and he's doing what the left does good. He's talking about issues. He's getting a specialist on a very specific field talking about an issue and there is nothing better than to prove that government is wrong than to always bring people on discussing why government is wrong without being uh, ideological or philosophical about it. Now, the left does that when it comes to capitalism because what they will do is they'll talk about capitalism in a different perspective than us. Most people think of capitalism in a free market sense, whereas the left think of it in in a crony sense, a big business sense. Now, when the right was talking about free trade and free markets, but weren't actually practicing any of those things, the left was looking at the uh, monopolies in South America. They were looking about the mining interests all over the world, the diamond mines in Africa, all this. And they were looking about how these private monopolies, which are supported by the state, were profiteering and making money and doing complete horrible things against the communities. And they were conflating that with capitalism because the left invented the word capitalism and capitalism is a left-wing term. Now yes, the right yes. decide the right just happened to decide to take that word like anarchism yeah. and has has shoehorned it to mean what they want it to mean. When you're talking to left people about anarchism and capitalism, to them it means something completely different. Yes. And just this like liberal that- means something different here in Australia. Like you know Exactly. And, this and, and that's a conflict like- of interest. Yeah, absolutely. This is something I, I like have really started to harp on recently is that a lot of times like the, some people like, okay, oftentimes when I've uh, like, like people who are might maybe just getting into like, uh, or who have like, they may be Republicans or Democrats, they may just be standard Republican or Democrat types, right? They're not really like politically versed. I'm not saying that's a knock against them, right? They're just average people living their lives. Um, but there, there's tends to be this, um, uh, propensity for them to 
view words as if, um, well, the dictionary says this. So that means that's the only correct use of this word here. Yeah, right? exactly. As if language and, is not fluid as well. Exactly. Yeah. Language is completely fluid. There's no like objectively correct um, meaning to any particular sound coming out of my mouth. That all that matters is how I'm using it. So whenever you're having a debate between two people or, an, or a discussion between two people, you always have to make sure you're on you. Uh, the, the words you're using have the same meaning or a similar enough meaning so that you can communicate with each other. Not to mention outside of um, hefty concepts like you know capitalism and, and left wing or yeah. whatever, we also understand the nature of inflection. Like, you know, like yes. I can say a word which has a lot of different meanings and I can be sarcastic with that word. And so like I can even say a word that can be uh, quite affectionate, but also my inflection allows it to be, a, 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 you know, a slur. But yeah, that's the, that's the nature of language. But there's no definitions of that because we understand that as individuals and each cultural group and each little subgroup has it. And that's the trouble with it all. And, and I think with this whole left versus right thing, it, I think personally, the, the liberty movement or people that are non-political or whatever, mm-hmm. and this is what people like with the Medusian liberty thing, this is what they're doing. They don't identify themselves as left or right or conservative or liberal. All they do is they live their life and they live a very philosophical life right. that other people have politicized, which yes. goes back to, I think, what Dean was saying before about the demographics, which is where it's a bunch of white people just deciding what these other people are doing as if they're like, you know, like they're keyhole observationists. And it's not just that they're white either. It's that they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, that's the, that's yeah. the part that gets these uh, with that demographic thing. It's, it's white academics and news people. And, and these guys that came out of Yale law school or some fucking journalism school, they don't, actually know anything but they're out here breaking things down like this is what these people care about the black voter cares yeah. about you know it's it, it's it they don't fucking know anything they don't know yeah. anything yeah it's just a retroactive like uh assignment of some value that they just made up in their head really yeah it's uh, yeah and even outside I, of that, I, I mean to to I, to your point can the one of the one of the more um this I have on my shelf uh, a very confusing thing. It's <laughs> one one is a dictionary, and the next to that is a legal dictionary. Yeah, and you'd be amazed how many words don't mean the thing that Webster says they mean when you're talking about law. Yeah, <laughs> they're different things. I don't know, uh, and oh, that sorry. would change per jurisdiction too. I'd imagine, like here in Australia. That would be different again. And even though we share a common law system based on the English common law system, there would be nuances in the Australian system at a federal level and then at a state level as well. Yeah, especially since the U.S. decided to take the common law and turn it into statutes. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) Give me back the common law. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> I was arguing with someone yesterday on Twitter, um, and I don't mean to bring up like all these Twitter arguments as if they're important, but it was something. No, they're entertaining. Goes to this, it, 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 it goes to this topic. I was arguing with someone who was trying to tell me that there are objective definitions of words. Yeah, I and saw that. It was one of the most like surreal arguments I've ever had because uh, I, I didn't know if maybe this was like a meta thing where it's like we were just like talking past each other in terms of like what objective meant. But yeah, but it, it was one of those things where it's like if I make a sound out of my mouth, it's not like I have an immediate intuitive understanding. Like if I like 
if an alien comes down and makes some sound out of his mouth or something. Um, I don't immediately know what he said or what he meant by saying, just hearing the sound, right? Like, like the way people try to attach meaning to a certain word, it's like, if you, if you, we all understand intuitively that, um, people might have might be trying to communicate a certain concept to you but they the way they're trying to do that or the symbols they use through like uh written either written text or a vocal verbalization these are can be completely different through different languages right completely different even if you're trying to talk about the same concept but what people tend not to think about is that this can happen even within your own language Whereas if uh, one person using a word and another person using the word, they may be using the, they may be saying the same sound or the same sound might be coming out of their mouth, but they have completely different meanings for it. So it's not even that one person is necessarily wrong. One person may be using a more common definition, but how words got their meaning in the dictionary in the first place was through common usage. It was not through like uh, some divine or, or, you know, it wasn't like divinely ordained that this is what this word means forever for eternity. Exactly. It's one of those things that makes it, it's why it makes it interesting to argue whether a hot dog is a sandwich. Because we all right. know what a hot dog is and a sandwich is, but as soon as you drill down on what those words mean, things yes. start to look a lot different. Like it's exactly. it's what makes that entertaining, right? Well, exactly. It's, it's even, it, it, exactly. It was also like grammar Nazis. Like one thing I noticed, generally speaking, uh, and I noticed because of social media and especially uh, internet forums back in the day, usually it is Americans that are obsessed with grammar. Oh yeah, they become hard like. The rest of the world, the rest of the English-speaking world, it, we kind of don't care. We speak <laughs> the, the the English that the rest of the world speaks, except the Americans speak a very different version, but they're caught up on the, the legalities of language. Yeah. Now, what I hate about social media grammar Nazis is, one, it's social media, so it's a very casual form of conversation. You don't structure yeah. how you speak like conversationally as if you are writing a, an essay, for example. But on top of that, there are people that are – trilingual multilingual that are speaking in different languages and then they're communicating to us in english and just because they may misspell a word or misutilize a you know punctuation or something like that you get some grammar nazi that goes oh my god i can't continue they kept they juxtaposition they you know they use an adverb as a proverb and oh my god like you know that's that's more about you dude not about everyone else because we understood what they meant all that matter all that matters in language was the concept communicated yeah, yes. exactly. Okay. That's it. Done. Yeah. We're done. Here. And, and, and like even how words are pronounced. Like, for example, um, I can't remember his name right now. I'm trying to think of his name, but he's a language expert. He was on uh, Penn and Teller's bullshit and he's been on quite a few things. He's a really interesting guy. Um, he was talking about how words are pronounced and how we don't say daughter for daughter, but we say laughter. Right. And how yeah, the English yeah. language is full of inconsistencies. It's very yeah. hard to learn. But it's over time, it's the hard. If you, yeah, if, but, if but it's your primary language, it is the hardest language to learn. Yeah, and, and on time, but these words meant they, these words. You just listen to Chaucer, for example, like the Canterbury Tales, mm-hmm. and you listen to how dissimilar that is, but similar at the same time. Yeah, and it always will change. So when people get caught up, especially when we have new technology, new cultural norms, um, pop culture moments. They get caught up in the definitions of language and they become crazy about it. It's like arguing over the subjectivity of art. I mean, the objectivity of art when it's a subjective thing. Like, like that person isn't beautiful because I find them unattractive. Therefore, objectively, they're unattractive. Now, that's just your own bias, dude. 
Right. And I think yeah. that goes to lots of different things. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's not to say either, uh, uh, to be, to, to Clara, I don't think that's even necessarily to say that that's an incorrect position. It's when you try to apply it where it doesn't belong. Like, there, things yeah. have, uh, <laughs> things, words, ideas have a realm in which they are relevant. And as soon as you take it outside of that, you're, you're making an argument that becomes very hard to make. Uh, for, as you said, with like the attractiveness thing, I can think that there's a celebrity or whatever who is incredibly unattractive and I'm in the minority on that and know it, right? So I'm not gonna, I, I can't make the objective argument that this person is unattractive. I could try to, it would fail. Um, and and that's that's exactly why that subjectivity is so important to bear in mind. Uh, someone before writes a lot about that too. The idea that the subject and object is they they're not separate concepts. They work together, um, and they exist together in the same things. Uh, people is what she was talking about, but it works everywhere else too. And this comes back down to like I guess this is the uh, like an anthropological perspective where you're an outsider looking in. Now you're never going to intimately know something as an outsider. Like you, you ultimately, and this is philosophical, we barely know ourselves. We only right. know ourselves through experience and actions and inactions, et cetera. And we grow to learn ourselves over time. We also come to know other people, but we only know them from our own perspective, but we might right. know them more yes. intimately than others and on and on and on. But then when you relegate huge amounts of individuals into one demographic based entirely on one aspect of their personality or one aspect of their life or character or whatever. And then you decide that all of these people do this because you have observed through your own bias and observation that they do these sorts of things. That in itself is a completely disingenuous worldview. But for some reason, people base entire ideologies and freaking lifestyles upon that ignorance. We I, we were just talking about this in the most previous episode we had, where uh, with like uh, the the atomic bombings of Japan, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know, they attacked us, right? They attacked us. It's like, oh, they did. Who 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 do you mean? Who who is they? It's like do you, know, do, you know, <laughs> do you know? I just it's funny. I just did a piece uh, for the institute. It's like a review on the rape of Nanking. Oh, and yeah. The book, The Rape of Dan King. So I kind of cover a little bit of this sort of stuff um, and, and, you know, the collective responsibility or whatever. But um, in it, there is Japanese photojournalists and even one of the Japanese commanders himself that disagreed with what was happening in Nanking. There were people yeah. that were Japanese that disagreed with it. But it's no different to say you could be a hippie protesting the U.S. government in, you know, in Seattle while they're bombing hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians, mm -hmm. there are people that were disagreeing. And it, there was a meme, um, uh, where I'm going with this, there's a meme that I saw a while ago where there was a little Japanese girl and someone said, she's not responsible for Pearl Harbor, then neither is this little white girl responsible for uh, uh, slavery. Right, right. And uh, we understand that both are true, but at the same time, in 1945, that little Japanese girl was held responsible. For Pearl Harbor, right, and every, you know, what I mean? but I mentioned that and I pointed that out, and I got a Twitter storm of absolute tards telling me <laughs> that she's somehow responsible. But even you know, but not because of the distance of time, but because she was born, she was like you know, she wasn't even born in 1941. Let's say she was she was four in 1945. But for some reason, there's this belief 
that she is somehow culpable and responsible because of race or nation nation that where she's born. And this and this is no different to how the the Japanese soldiers might have treated the Chinese in in, in yeah. um, Nanking, China, or how you know uh, anyone treated the Japanese civilians thereafter. There is this collective belief and assumption that everyone was, you know responsible but we understand within our context that we're not responsible as a westerner um yeah. you know the united the people that lived in the twin towers in 9-11 in september 2001 they weren't responsible for u.s foreign policy we understand right. that's a terrorist act but if we turn it into foreign policy then every baby in iraq is responsible for something saddam hussein did yeah right. Yeah, they won't accept, though, the flip side of it. The, the, the flip side can't. of the argument they make is that, yeah, the little white girl is responsible for slavery and that the, you, for example, are personally responsible for every bad thing that ever happened to an Aboriginal at the hands of the Australian government. Or that yeah. I, and here's the thing, I get real confused because I'm a Native American, but I'm, I'm also a white guy. So I don't know what to think. I'm responsible for killing myself. It's, it's, people can't accept the flip side of the ideology that they're, that they prescribe to. What it it comes down to, right? Okay. (laughs) Speaking of Native Americans, right? Okay. I saw on a YouTube video, someone was talking about um, the Trail of Tears. I talked about the the betrayal of the Mm -hmm. Cherokee Indians by um, the US government in that period. Yes, but they own slaves. So, Dot, dot, dot. And it's like, okay, so some Cherokees own slaves, all right? Therefore, all Cherokees are responsible. But at the same time, the United States also owns slaves, and therefore they're not responsible for, uh, <laughs> you know, Sherman's uh, march to the sea. You know, you right. wouldn't say that every Confederate's responsible for slavery and should be treated like a, you know, right. it's so dumb. Like, it's so yeah. dumb. It, it, it's one of those things where, like, domestically, I, I think most people understand in a domestic setting, that look, how would you feel if you were charged for murder that you did not commit, right? Everyone would be like horrified, right? That's a horrible injustice. But on a national like scale, on or an international scale, I should say, on an international scale, uh, when this happens all the time, uh, people are like, well, that's just war. It's just what yeah, happens. Just what happens. You know, just like, yeah, just what happens. Yeah, it does. And, and even let's take it back to a more individual scale. Let's get, let's, what about the flight? What about the bombardier, the pilot, the flight crew of the Enola Gay? All right. What right. if you were from a third, a neutral country? Uh, a neutral, okay. Let's pretend Superman, real Superman existed. Mm-hmm. And he, he witnessed that and he got that crew and then he put them in some, you know, dungeon or whatever to punish them. Now, there will be people that will tell you that they they should not be tried, that these individuals should not be tried for murder or whatever else. Right. But there is there is a person sitting inside of the jail in the United States who's only killed one person, and he's been treated so it's been treated as a criminal, rightfully so. But right. a man that pulls the trigger that leads to the death of thousands, hundreds, millions, whatever lives is somehow mm-hmm. not responsible because he was just following policy. Orders. You yeah. have that comparison yeah. historically at the exact same time, because at the same time that those bombs are being dropped from the Enola Gay, the same cultures and dealing with the same war, we are on the other side in the other theater of that war in Europe saying that, well, just following orders isn't a good excuse. And do you know right. the interesting thing about that is there was also trials occurring once the Japanese were defeated, and these trials were made up by not just 
the European powers, but by Indians and people from um, Asian countries, et cetera, that were affected. And what they had concluded is that if the Japanese were going to be judged as they were, then all of the Western colonial powers, United States included, would also be judged under those terms. <laughs> so the yeah. Japanese kind of got off um, the <laughs> Japanese government and they, could, they got off a little bit more than what the Germans did because the Germans were being tried by colonial masters, by imperialists, because it was victor's justice more so in, in Europe, in the Nuremberg right. trials, which you know about, whereas in the case in, in Asia, the Indians were like, well, we just want to be independent of, you know, of Britain, you know, that sort of oh, thing, and the perspective. So even though Indians were suffering under the Japanese and the Burmese were and so on and so forth, but they also had suffered under the British, under the Americans and the Philippines. But the crazy thing is, what I don't understand when he talk about Nuremberg is how the German commander that was responsible for destroying the dams and dikes in Holland was tried for war crimes. But the British bomber pilots who dropped the famous dam buster raids, who dropped the bombs, the bouncing bombs that destroyed the dams, which then drowned entire communities and destroyed power stations, yeah. were heralded as heroes and given medals and had movies made about them. Yeah. Now, that is exactly the same action, essentially, but the only difference yeah. is context. Because they don't care until the threat comes home. It's just like we're saying where they can't, yeah. Yeah, they exactly. can't accept well, it's like, They can't accept the other side of it. They can't accept that, well, if you're going to hold, I mean, I mean, just as you said, it's a great example. If you're going to hold the little Japanese girl responsible for Pearl Harbor, you have to hold the little white girl responsible for slavery. You can't yeah. suddenly decide that it's not the same thing or that, or that a right. different moral applies. Oh, but they, won't, they won't see the error in that until the threat comes home, until it's, it's their kid that's being blamed for something they didn't yes. fucking do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that looks like their kid, the familiar. Right. Which is why, which is why, perhaps to a degree, Ukraine is more of a fascination for people. Um, as far as you know, obviously because it's not the United States that's attacking. Like then again, Serbia wasn't really. Um, uh, people weren't so sympathetic to the Serbs, but there is a certain degree when it's a, a person of another culture or race or nation where it's a little bit different, where it's easier to denigrate them. And, you know, a Yemeni child, for example, has no value to most people in the United States or Australia, even though our governments are culpable in sure. the misery that's being inflicted upon them. Well, that's what I'm of the. Uh, that's why I'm of the opinion that the people in the United States who give such a shit about Ukraine and stuff would not care if it were not politically expedient for the media and the government to have them care because literally nobody in the United States would care about Slavic infighting if if they weren't told to. Like that's I, I yeah. don't think anyone give they would treat it just like they treat Yemen. Yeah, exactly. And and if you do bring up Yemen, if you do bring up what's happening in Africa or the expansion of conflict over there. You know, if you do bring up any of these other things, or even if you bring up Iraq, you know, mm-hmm. that people will just, I don't know, they have some, oh, yeah, but that was different. Or, you know, we're, we're talking about this now. Like, they don't want to discuss it. There's a, there's, a general, there's a general disregard for that, as if that doesn't exist anymore. If, that, if, if the suffering that's still occurring in Iraq, in Afghanistan, is completely removed from, from any... There's no responsibility. There's no ownership. There's no. Um, there's no discussion anymore. It's like, yeah, I'm done. I've passed on. Um, not to segue off into something else, but uh, several years ago, I um, I went to this charity thing where it was basically these kids that had had horrible things happen to them, or who had been assaulted or were, were freed from being slaves. 
um, they were making arts and crafts. I can't remember the name of the charity now. I slipped my mind. But they were making these arts and crafts, and they were doing it for like um, trying to be like entrepreneurial by making these things. And so basically, it was a crowdfunding exercise to give them, the, you know, for materials. Anyway, one of the young children I, I met, met there, encountered there, was this young Laotian girl. At the time, she was maybe ten or eleven. She lost one one leg and half of the other leg, and she lost her little brother. They were walking near their home, and they just happened to detonate a bomb that the Americans had dropped in the 1970s. Motherfucker. Every year in Laos and Cambodia, two countries that did nothing, governments did nothing to the United States, that had more bombs dropped on Laos than in all of World War II against all belligerents, every year bombs detonate and take lives, mostly children, and wound them. Thousands of them every year. Now, to most Americans... The Vietnam War is a passe thing. You know, oh, we had some cool movies and it had the soundtracks. You know, it's, it's a cultural mm-hmm. thing to them that was, you know, we had Oliver Stone movies and we had the platoon soundtrack and all that sort of stuff. They don't care about it. They've moved on to the next war and the next war and the next war. But in those countries, in Vietnam, where people are still suffering from the effects of Agent Orange and the the the, the soil hasn't returned to how it was. Not to mention mm-hmm. all the metallurgy that's still in the ground from all the bombs and all the fragments and stuff like that. Not to mention that families are still broken from the war. Not to mention in Laos and Cambodia and even parts of Thailand, there's all of these, there's all this blowback and repercussions where people have to get by and live on. And then most people that are die in the war, proud Americans and Australians, will disregard that suffering. Will just will, won't own it. Will just look yeah. down on those people and think, you know what? that war doesn't matter anymore, but it does to them. There's going to be generations upon generations of kids in Iraq and Afghanistan and Yemen that are going to be suffering from the effects of uh, all the pollutants in the air, all the metallurgy, all of the um, the, uh, depleted uranium when it oxidizes and it gets in the blood supply. All they want to talk about, and I'm not saying this is not a sensitive issue, but all they want to talk about is veteran suicides and PTSD of veterans. Now, that's a real issue, and that is a horrible thing. I'm not denigrating that. But what yeah. about the PTSD of the child or the mother or the yeah. father? What about the suicides that occur over there? They're, they're countless. Yeah, right? that's even, just- even for, to further contextualize that, if you can show, uh, if, you're, if you're a Vietnam veteran and you can show that, that there is some level of your current health issues that are related to Agent Orange, you get a payout. Yeah, that's right. And and but but and I'm not saying you so, shouldn't. But but, but like but then, <laughs> but, but then we but then we also and this comes back to the whole um you know culture thing. But then we have people that proclaim to be the the um you know believers of the Prince of Peace. At best, they may donate one prayer to someone over there. But that's it. They put nation above that. They put the culture of nationalism above the suffering of these kids and they're quite happy to vote they're quite happy to vote and cheer for the next war where there is another generation another region like how many regions on this earth and i'm not i'm not american bashing but i'm just going to use it as an example mm-hmm. where korea nearly every building in korea was bombed yeah where what was it like one third of the populace was murdered Mm-hmm. Not to mention, there's nearly not a country on this earth that hasn't been visited by American imperialism, or let yeah. alone bombs and wars, a continent at least. How many times do the jingoists and the nationalists have to constantly cheer and completely disregard? And and I think this is where, even when it comes to the liberty movement, there is nothing more important than the wars, because that is the ultimate I expression agree. of collectivism. But yeah. for some reason, the culture warriors are like, yeah, but like, 
there's a transvestite reading fairy tales in Disneyland. Yeah, okay, cool. That sucks. Don't go to Disneyland, all right? (laughs) (laughs) That's all they want to talk about. And then they might go, oh, yeah, um, uh, Scott Horton talks about this stuff. That's important. I made this argument. I've made this argument before. This idea that all these people are so concerned about the fucking culture war and calling everyone who is not equally concerned about it a uh, high time preference. Meanwhile, nobody's fucking talking about inflation. They're destroying your money, and and you're concerned about again, yeah, a, a transvestite reading fairy tales. They're destroying. Your money. One, They're I'll, killing people I'll, overseas, and that's your concern. Great. I, I have an instinct when it comes to the inflation too. I have an instinct that a lot of these people that are, you know, supposedly pro-Austrian, they'll they'll read the the monster of Jekyll Island and they'll talk about the, mm-hmm. the evils of the reserve banking and all that shit. I have a I believe that a lot of these people are beneficiaries of government subsidies, yes, welfare or employment, and on top of that, bailouts which they then go ahead and buy their cryptos and their NFTs and they invest in their stocks and shares. So when it suits them, this Federal Reserve System and this government monetary system suits them to make money for themselves. But they don't have the principles to pull themselves free of that. It's And it's the same thing when it comes to the wars. When it suits them, they take pride. A lot of people take pride in having a powerful military. They... They, they, right. let's be honest it's awesome watching a war movie because it's kind of cool action if you remove yourself oh, from yeah. the consequences mm-hmm. yeah but they will celebrate it and they'll thank a soldier for their service and they'll that a returned vet will they'll get a jocko willick on their show and they'll go oh my god man it's so good to have you bro can't believe you're like a navy seal and all that like that's the least interesting yeah. part of his character also also, you know how we were talking about like uh, Japan and, and one of the arguments for like how why uh, uh, like Hiroshima and Nagasaki were justified actions is that people will say, well, they supported the emperor, right? Okay, now let's say, now let's just say, let, now there's no way for us to even validate this, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt here and let's say that's true. How many Americans supported the bombings and, you know, just the absolute destruction of Afghanistan and Iraq? Quite a lot of people. So uh, by most their very people standard, at that time in yeah. history, most people. Yeah, at, yes. At that by that standard, uh, I, I guess uh, you know some Iraqis or, or Afghanis can wipe most Americans off the map by that standard. I, I I've actually wrote a piece about this uh, condemning liberal democracy because of this very argument. So Japan, right? Okay, Japan had an emperor. Now, how much power and influence that emperor had at any given time is debatable. Japan had a culture of assassinations and a lot of political infighting. The Japanese Navy wouldn't talk to the Japanese army. Certain parts, the government did what it wanted. The army in Manchukuo, Manchuria, China, did its own thing. You know, like they started a war. The the government by assassination and the absolute, uh, 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 I, I guess you would call it independence of the of the individual military units in Japan at the time were uh, yeah. mind-boggling. And, and all of these, not to mention the many layers of government, like, so there were probably a lot of people in Japan. I mean, I've got a book written by Japanese, a pamphlet that's written by Japanese anarchists. There was a lot of anarchists in Japan. They were just secretive. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of people were prisoners in Japan that disagreed with the war. These people did exist. A lot of the kamikaze pilots were made up of people that were dissenters against the war, but the bargain was, we will take care of your family and we will not punish your family if you do this deed. That's how they recruited kamikazes in some cases. So 
these people were very well aware. They're individuals no different to you and I, just that they speak a different language and may look a little bit differently. That, for them to be culpable where they have no control over the policies of the government versus a country that celebrates the ability of the individual to make a difference, that yeah. the, the, the government works for you and then somehow is, is indignant. You know, it's fucking retarded. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like, you know, like the fact, like um, I, I wrote a piece, um, of some, it's going to be published this week, uh, it's a three-parter called Fighting Age Male. And one of the bits I talk about is McNamara's morons, which is where they recruit um, hundreds of thousands of Americans that were considered American men that were considered subpar because, um, you know, they, they had low IQ, they were from a bad demographic, whatever. Anyway, the reason why they chose a lot of these individuals is because they were not going to influence votes because a lot of these people came from non-voting families. And mm. so the government had made a decision to enslave human beings based on the fact that it wouldn't affect votes, which sense to me the government still does concern in, in democracy, is still concerned with what the average American, the average Australian thinks. And it's right. like you said before, it's reactionary. So therefore, if anyone's going to make a very nihilistic or a horrible argument of legitimacy of targets, then the average citizen and civilian in a Western liberal democracy is far more responsible for their government than someone living in imperial Japan or Nazi 100%. Germany. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Not to mention someone living in an occupied part, part, a region of those countries. Like people forget the Philippines were bombed pretty heavily, you know, by the United States yeah. and the Japanese were <laughs> occupying it, killing thousands of civilians. And the Filipinos did nothing, not to mention parts of France. And, you know, it's yeah. stupid. It's, it's, it's a good thing that the representative nature of government is a lie, or there would be a lot of moral yeah. culpability going around that, that yeah. nobody deserves. But it also goes back to what we're discussing before about the thousands of people that do make government policy because government government is an idea, is a religion, whatever you want to call it. It is only made possible. The, I mean, obviously, Dean, you do law, okay? So you understand that that law is a template or is a structure that other people have to make, have to ratify it by their beliefs. And it is enforced by men with guns, by individuals with guns, by educated academics to debate and discuss and to conjure up and arbitrate absolutely and if you and if you attack that at all you get these long essays written by judges about the evils of jury nullification and how yeah. it's an anti-democratic idea that jury nullification <laughs> should exist because you because the 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 people voted to have these laws passed and it's not up to 12 people to overrule the democratic yada yada eat shit it, it's fucking ridiculous I, I and when it comes to that, I have a really close friend, and she sat on a, a jury trial, and um, and and it was a murder case, right? And she said to me, and she had a law background. She said to me, "If you are ever going to be tried for something, get a judge, because most people that are in the jury are indifferent, bigoted, racist, bias, or make assumptions based on how the person presents or looks." Uh, body language experts because they watched a YouTube video on and on. All of these reasons because you've got a bunch of idiots that are making yeah. opinions on your life based on omitted and admitted evidence. I mean, look at the Russ Ulbricht trial. You know, like oh how God. much of yeah. those omissions? Are we supposed to celebrate this system as if it's the, the best Russ system Ulbricht in the universe? Trial forever ruined my faith in juries. And I mean, they, oh. I never should have had faith in them in the first place, but it's one of the egregious things of... I think, I think every Native person in the United States, Australia, Canada, on and on, knew 
that the legal system was bullshit from day one because it was all about oh, yeah. lies and tra- like, it doesn't matter what happened in court. I mean, what did uh, Jackson say? President Jackson say, I mean, the Supreme Court doesn't have an army. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so therefore, that's that's one executive power overruling the judiciary. Yeah. So it shows how arbitrary it is. Not to mention the fact that the Supreme Court also does have an army. So therefore, you know, it, it, it's, it's powered by that at the same time. And not to mention every person who happens to be of color living in a non-colored area being accused of rape, theft, or whatever. Yeah. Like, those biases are very real, and these are human beings that are making these decisions. Yes. It's an imperfect system. But for some reason, we're supposed to believe it's a good system. So if you're an outlier, a gay person or a trans person, and you're in a community that yeah. doesn't celebrate or welcome that, you're automatically going to be assumed. If someone says, hey, he had child porn on his computer, how do you disprove yes. that negative? Right, exactly. Uh, not even that, but they'll, they, I mean, it's, it gets made up. Think about the, if you remember the, uh, the Las <laughs> Vegas, it's a perfect, perfect example. If you remember the Las Vegas shooter, they yep. had said that his hard drives were destroyed. His hard drives yep. were destroyed. His hard drives were destroyed. Okay, cool. Weeks later, they come out and say they found child porn on one of his hard drives. And it's yep. like, are you, what do you mean? You said none of his hard drives worked or even survived. You said they were destroyed. Now now you're finding CP on them? This is literally just to make people hate the guy more. And, and, and then also he has this magical ability because, one, if any one of us was accused of having child porn on our computer or on our devices, one, even if you're innocent, one, it could be put there pretty easily, I'm sure, these days with technology. It so therefore, Alex it's... Jones during this trial. People had emailed him child porn so he would get in trouble for hosting it. There you go. And on top of that, like, isn't the FBI the biggest distributor of child porn anyway? Fuck you know, because yeah. it wants to... Yeah, but, but, but my point is, that doesn't mean someone who has possession of child porn is a murderer or that by looking at child porn makes you a murderer or vice versa. But what it does in people, a lot of people's minds, is it conflates the two. Right. It, 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 it's like it's like um, oh yeah, you know, uh, bowling for Columbine, for example. All right, these kids were listening to this type of music. These kids were playing this kind of computer game. Therefore, that's what made them become shooters. Yeah, it conflates, and it's and this is and this is what I think that that, that people that are certain you know uh, moralists, if you will, do this do within our community as well. They they believe that an outsider element is going to make someone do something bad because of this outsider element, even though there's no real link to it. And there's no, and even if it did in one case, it doesn't mean for all other cases, homosexuals being pedophiles, for example, or, yeah. um, and, and that goes sexual- back all the way, like since I uh, got, I, at least the fifties and probably before from what oh, absolutely. even before. Yeah. Like, Victorian like, England. Long before. Yeah. Yeah. Long yeah before. Victoria, exactly. Yeah. But, but even like a sex worker won't make a good parent. Right. You know, as if they have no context, you know, like it's, it's stupid. It's so stupid, but it all comes down to, once again, um, if you have a monopoly that is a massive coercive body, it's only going to make all of these elements fight for control of that so that they can inject it with their own biases and their own bigotry and their own insecurities. And then that's what becomes the norm of the hour. It'll change in time. Like I've made, I've made this argument to people who are so obsessed with taking control of government authority to institute their own desires. You're, I, 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 I believe I said uh, your grandchildren will appreciate your political gamesmanship while they're being loaded onto the boxcars. 
the more you <laughs> exactly. the more you empower this this Leviathan, the more likely it's going to attack you and yours. It's guaranteed. It's a matter of time. Politics is a losing game for losers. You never and win you long never, term. Exactly. That's exactly right. And you can never control it long enough because. Right. You, you, like, like if the left gets control of every House of Parliament or Senate position or congressional position or whatever, and then they have the executive and all that, so what? That's for a brief moment in time. It's not going to change anything because once the right gets in or whoever gets in, they'll just overturn it. But all the, the only entity that wins and the only ideology that wins is more government, 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 government. And that is the trouble. And, and this whole uh, post-libertarianism, for example, I, I haven't, Look, I don't know the definition of it. I, I haven't really had it properly explained. I'm just I don't think it, it has one. It does not uh, have a particular. Well, <laughs> I'm guessing it's a mutation of lots of podcasts, memes, a little bit of Hopper, a little bit of uh, Yarvin, <laughs> and all this sort of stuff, like all mixed together, shake it sure. about, and then yeah, like so. But it's a uniquely American thing. But I think with that, there is a belief that we have to create these little communities. Um, and, you know, what is it, a thousand Lechtersteins or whatever. Now, that North Korea is a Lechterstein, essentially. That is That has a king. Mm. That has a conservative traditional culture. Right. Is that good? <laughs> yeah. You know, I did Ceausescu, you know. Romania had that. Lots of places had this. Yeah. You know, when they had absolute monarchs, Libya had that. Like, yeah. it's not a good thing. It doesn't matter if it's only yeah. a community of 500 people or bigger. Or then is a theory to decentralize, okay? And that's cool. I embrace that. But let's decentralize to the point of the individual. Isn't that better? Right. But then going into all these different communities, yes, I grew up in a country town. I can understand how um, a country town is awesome to live in. But everyone also knows everyone else's life and everyone wants to gossip. And certain differences, you know, certain differences can, can get you in trouble. Or... Mm-hmm. Um, if you drive the wrong sort of car, that can also upset people. Oh, I didn't go to the football game on Saturday. That can upset people. But here's the other thing. That country town that I went to, that I grew up in, has now been um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, you know, where the – gentrified. It's been gentrified into like a bit of a, a trendy spot now because outsiders have come in, a bit like some of the post-libertarianists want to do from the cities. They want to go from the city, go to these small communities, and then they want to change it in their own way by influencing the local councils and completely changing the culture to suit themselves. That is no different. That is a form of, you know, that, and all they're doing is they're going to change it for a short period of time until they die and their kids die or whatever. To what end? Yeah. All that's going to happen is the central government's still going to grow. The, the local community government's going to get more power because they always do. And it's just going to change nothing because people's idea of morality is just going to continue to pervade. And the, 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 all that's going to happen is now you've given an entity the legal writ and the power to decide and influence what morality is condonable. It's, it's, it's difficult also, for me to get on the side of someone who, who celebrates and wants to be a carpetbagger. It's like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the great lesson, once again, Hitler's Germany, Nazism is that Hitler, after the Munich putsch and all the Nazis, they realised that they couldn't overtake the government illegally with, with revolution. So they did it legally. They made compromises. They made with a lot of conservatives, with a lot of monarchists, with a lot of Christians and that, and some socialists. And they mutated this racialist, this national socialist group, party, which was neither left nor right. It was German. It was it was. It was a nationalist movement, a racialist movement that overtook the government. And within, you think about it, Germany went from 
say from 1933 to 1936, three years, it went to this crazy place to by 1936 to 1939, this military imperial power where people had no more freedom. It went from the Weimar Republic, where there was a certain degree of social liberalism and, you know, certain, you know, different freedoms were allowed to within the matter of a decade to this extremely frightening authoritarian regime, not to mention a genocidal one, given the context of the war. And it was all done legally. They had the Wannsee Conference, you know, in 1940, you know, 41, 42, where they're discussing the legalities of mass murder. It was all done legally. And now anyone that is pro-government doesn't look at that and think to themselves, that's fucked. That's that, what government can do. That can happen. And say that that could be there. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and, and, and that's what can happen in Australia. That can happen in – it's very unlikely. That can happen in the United States because once you have the legal parameters – and people will go on, oh, we've got the Second Amendment here. Nothing's going to stop us from stopping the government. Well, how has that worked out when it came to the Patriot Act, the war on drugs, conscription, slavery, you know, on and on and on, segregation? When did that ever work for freedom? <laughs> you know, has it stopped no-knock raids? Has it stopped, you know, everyone talks about John Wick and how he's avenging the death of his child. Last time I checked, I think the U.S. police force is the biggest murderer of dogs in the world. Oh, How many John Wicks has that created? It's done nothing. Right. So, it's so also- like... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so the whole legal... The, the legal permission to own a firearm and the legal denial to own a firearm, the legal permission to speak and to not be able to speak and so on and on, it all just proves one thing, that the government, the concept, the law, is a perverse entity in the first place and that it's only ever going to take more. It's a carcinogen. It's only ever going to grow and expand. And... The ability to speak, the ability to shoot back has not stopped it at any time in history. People will give micro-incidents, but those micro-incidents haven't changed the macro in any manner, at least not indefinitely. It's also one of these things, like, as you're saying, where, where like, if you are the type of person where you're like, okay, I want to, while there's a state, while a state exists, I, I would rather my side win than the other side, right? I'd rather my culture win as opposed to the other side. All this is going to do, when, when you impose your culture violently, and you're seeing this, and they're validating this by their very existence and what they're doing, when you try to impose your culture violently, you're going to get more violent resistance back when the other side eventually gains power. And then it's just this like race to the bottom of who's going to like inflict the most violence the, the fastest on the, other, on the other side, right? So and, and- it, just, it puts a target on your back as soon as you start to do it, as opposed to like trying to, you know, live out your cultural values yourself yourself and set a good example and try to convince people maybe in your community as opposed to using political power one obviously grows your uh like you know it, it, it at least sends goodwill or has a, a sense of goodwill towards your cultural beliefs if you just live them out peacefully and try to attract people but if you you know use the state more people are going to be likely to hate you for it Exactly. I also, that's right. That's so true because I think it doesn't matter what it is. I think, you know, if, if you want someone to live a healthy life, you want someone to train more and exercise more, do it yourself. Set a better example. You want someone to stop drinking, stop drinking yourself, you know, be the proof of concept. The trouble is, I think with politics is no one has the courage, generally speaking, not many people have the courage to actually be the proof of concept. You know, people can talk about free trade and free markets, but if they're not willing to get out there and be in the free market and, exercise free trade as best as they can, whether it's the black market or gray market, 
then they're not setting the example. There's no one if, – if, if the people that are the biggest proponents of something, of, you know, culture or whatever, are not willingly to, willing to do it themselves and to be the outlier that then becomes the common, you know, the common way, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to change. And it's the same thing with you know, the anti-war movement, for example. If the more people that are anti-war, the more people that actually st- want to talk about it, that want to – despise it and discuss it, then the more we're really going to be anti-war. A lot of people will claim to be anti-war, but they're just apathetic or they're contextualized, they're contextually pro-war within a certain context. And it's the same thing with most things when it comes to government. If people claim to be anti-coercion, which we said they don't discuss anymore, you give them examples where you can do things without the government, without the nanny state, without protectionism and stuff like that, yeah. they will start believing it. It's going to take a long time. But the trouble is, I think a lot of these individuals out there, they get caught up in politics. They want to vote their way out. They just want a daddy to do it from. The irony is the ones that use the word cuckold the most are the ones that want to cuckold responsibility all the time. And it's <laughs> gross. Like, it's, it's not. And even if they don't, even if and and i think covid made a great made a great argument in favor of this point of view even if most people most people will never ever 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 value freedom yeah. that does not change the uh the base level morality of right. the uh of of the belief of of the belief yeah. in liberty and, and freedom and and yes. and and, yes. uh, and voluntarism, it doesn't it doesn't change just because like we're not Democrats here. Exactly. Like we're not making on the if what majority most people believe mattered, I would be a Democrat. I'm not. Yeah. I don't care about democracy. Just like I don't care about most people's opinions on who should and shouldn't be free. Yeah. And that yeah. comes down to with with like with back to the Medusa Liberty thing. These people have already made this decision. Like yeah. there, there's no, there's no, there's no um, epic debates about praxeology and praxis, you know, or right. whether it's le- who the great philosopher was that inspired them. They don't, they don't, they've never read Rothbard. They've never read, uh, you know, any of these, mm-hmm. they've never read Mises. They don't care. They're living the free market. They're making arts and crafts. They're yeah. doing the local farmer's markets. They're doing that. They're growing their own food. They've got friends. Who grow- they're doing it. They're doing what all these people fantasize right. and meme about, but it's because I think a lot of people, when it comes to politics, they cosplay their identity, yeah, and they laugh and they laugh it, and it's always something that's on the horizon, and we all do it in some manner of our lives. Half, but uh, sorry, sorry, no, I was gonna say, no, sorry, I was going to say half of the United States uh, population does not vote. Like they're at least, at the very least, apolitical in some sort, and those people are as close to our allies as possible, much closer yeah. than any Republican or Democrat. Exactly, because the that's the thing: dictatorships, the worst dictatorship in the world, still has a election, so they still have the pretenses of an election. In a country like Australia, it's mandatory to a vote. So basically, you you go to the voting booth, and what I do is I just basically sign my name off; otherwise, I get fined. Mm-hmm. So they send out a fine if you don't do it. So I don't vote, but I'll just sign my name off. If I don't do that over a period of time, um, you'll get fined and then you might get your, your driver's license won't be able to be renewed. And, you know, they, they get you that way. Yeah. But anyway, there are a lot of people that write abusive messages on the ballot. They might do a donkey <laughs> vote or whatever because they're protesting because they don't believe in it. Yeah. And they may be they may be the Bogans or the Darrow types, but they're also very intelligent human beings out there too. And it's the same thing with non-voters. And I think that's what the Liberty Movement, like you said, the Liberty Movement needs to make more friends with them 
Agreed. Screw this Republican and Democrat discourse. Yeah. Fuck the Republicans. Fusion, Fuck the fusionism, Democrats. Fusionism was a mistake. Fusionism was I, the idea that um, this, for people who even the know, Libertarian Party, like yes, I, like, even the U.S. Libertarian Party, it's just going to disappoint again because Gary Johnson and Bill Weld and all these guys, they're just going to be the dudes that get it once the Mises Caucus disappears because the Mises Caucus is just going to. This is my opinion. It's just going to disintegrate and have all this infighting over uh, purity purity levels. You know, someone, let's say a, a celebrity within the Mises Caucus is going to get outed because, I don't know, he's going to get Tom Woods, you know. Oh, he was talking to his missus when she was underage. Therefore, he's a bad human being. You know, it's going to be something stupid like that. It's going to be something infantile, and they're going to get outed, and it's going to completely destroy the movement's momentum itself, and it's probably going to be fabricated or whatever. And then... Then what? You're going to have the Libertarian Party, which is just going to be another form of what Republican light, like the Greens Party is like, the, the, the Democrats light. And it doesn't change anything because the system, even here in Australia, the system is based on a two-party setup. And people have these, these stupid loyalties where they want to be, oh, I feel more Republican than I do Democrat. Right. So they, for, for, they, they, then they go down those instincts when it comes to the crunch, and it's that compromise of pragmatism which always leads to the same old outcome. So let's let's not vote because if we don't vote and if there's 90% of the people in the United States don't vote, the government loses le- legitimacy. If 90% of people that are on welfare stop taking welfare and start making money on the black market, on Etsy, on eBay, as a, as a sex worker, as a, as a day worker, as a labourer, then that independence says the government has no validation. That's how you beat it. That's the true way of putting it. The trouble is that takes a degree of discomfort and that takes a degree of um, autonomy. But these individuals that are more nomadic and especially these women, they're doing that. They're not talking to us saying this is what you should do. They're just doing it because it's the right thing for them. It's the right thing within their community. And they're getting rejected by us, you know? Right. Like yeah. they're the ones that should be the ones that should be inspiring us. There's, um, yeah, I, I certainly agree that like th- there's a whole host of people out there who are extremely amenable to the message. But there's certain types of messaging that certain people within the liberty community like uh, propagate, I guess, that makes it makes the ideology almost immediately toxic to these people. Uh, because it's so filtered through like this extremely like cultural lens that these people yep. who would be allies are now scared off uh, because they think, oh, this is probably just some Republican or some something. Uh, some Republican the crazy ideology. thing is, to my understanding, the, the, the days of Harry Brown and even when Ron Paul was first in the Libertarian Party, going back to the 70s, it was a party of homosexuals, lesbians, multiple races, people mm-hmm. of diversity, because – the government, the status quo, was treating them poorly. So yes. this whole belief that the, that libertarianism is of the right or is a conservative movement is absolutely stupidly American political. Angela Keaton, for example, when she was active yes. on Twitter, she was talking about making Rothbard left again and all this sort of stuff. Sheldon Richmond, he identifies yeah. as left wing. You know, there is yes. a lot of champions that identify left. And that would be considered um, unwelcome now by this modern form of libertarianism and anarchism. And that's it's gross. It's like we yeah. what we're seeing is we're seeing a Trotskyite versus a tanky movement. We're seeing a I'm a you know within within the socialist and the communist realm there was all these breakups. There was always these 
discourses between the Marxist-Leninist versus the Maoist versus, you know, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the same thing within the liberty movement. It's the maturation of the political groups. We need to stop being, a, I think personally, we need to stop being a, a, ideological and political and being more philosophical. And I think yeah. that's kind of what back, even back when this, this thing first started with like the Mises caucus and stuff like that. And they were really trying uh, early on um, to get their name out there and stuff like that. One of the things that I, I, I had been arguing, uh, this is almost, there's a, there's a similar thing to the paleo strategy, like where, where people were arguing in favor of the paleo strategy and all stuff. And I'm, I've, I've always been confused by that as, 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 I've never understood how that is better than just being unabashedly libertarian. How is it better to to try and make friends with uh, liberals? How is it better to try and make friends with conservatives than to just be libertarian? Like you don't have to. It's a third. It's it's a third. It's third positionism. It's literally yeah. third positionism to try and be libertarian. Why are you going it, it, to uh, kowtow to others? Exactly. It's watering everything down too, because the moment you make um, alliances, the powerful party is the one that's going to circumvent the narrative. Right, exactly. uh, Australia has a parliamentary system, right? So a lot of people, the last election, so the the Labor Party won the election, but they actually got less votes. But how they won is through alliances with independent um, uh, people that were independents. So all of these independents were running because they weren't liberal or labor. So the liberal party, which is our conservatives over here. Um, so they weren't, they weren't either or either. So all of these people were voting as a protest or because they wanted independent movements in there. But then the independent parties had to make these compromises with the incumbents or with the conservatives or with the, 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 the socialist types. And then all that wins in the end is the, one of the major parties. And that's what that happens in the end. So all these compromises and goes, oh, I like DeSantis because he was good during COVID. Uh, what? On one issue. Good for you. Like, you know, be consistent. You're being consistent. Um, you're being consistent. They should then look at you and go, hey, these guys are consistent. We should be more like them as opposed to us being like them who are being inconsistent with their consistently yeah. stupidity. And, <laughs> and I also want to uh, say like there's, it's one thing to like, uh, uh, like side with uh, people on like an issue by issue basis. Like if you wanted to say that, well, we're going to side with the the right on guns for this particular time and place, but we're going to side with the left on drugs. I don't really, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever or like on war or something like that. But it's this idea of that we should like, ideologically like fuse as a movement to one side or the other as if we're, we, you know, we're natural allies necessarily to one side or the other. That seems strange to me. I don't uh, like (laughs) what, what seems strange, like what, what seems strange to me as well is the trouble with having a party in partisan politics is you take out of the essence of libertarianism and liberty the very mm-hmm. thing that makes it unique, and that's individual identity, individualism, right. individual autonomy. So you then you're gen, you're gen turning it into a clump or a cluster. Now there's that famous saying, like you know, that libertarians or anarchists is like herding cats. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's the. It's like, why it's, I mean, thing. it's why it's self defeating. Ultimately, it's why it's self defeating to try and have a. This is why the libertarian party's always been cringe. It's self defeating ideologically. It, it's it's it, you cannot have yeah. a collective that is a, that is that holds individualism as the highest standard. You cannot have that 
operating in the collectivist realm of partisan politics. It just doesn't work. Especially you, you, using the concept of democracy. Right. Where, mob, right. where it's literally mob rule or majority right. rule. And, and the other thing with, with it as well, I can understand uh, the libertarian movement, like say in the Ron Paul movement, being used yes. to raise awareness, to, yes. to raise awareness yes. about things. I get that. Mm-hmm. Or um, political, uh, you know, like say the, the Yemeni bill, the one where it was a bipartisan thing where it was trying to stop the war in Yemen. I understand those um, those micro-pragmatic actions dealing with the system within the system for yeah. the time being. But long-term, we need to move past that. Otherwise, it just validates the system. Right. And it just it ultimately becomes a spiral where – um, and I, I've talked about this before, where like like with, like with the, the paleo strategy, right? Um, it doesn't really make sense to me that uh, it, it would work in the way that people think it would work. Where you, ha- you the idea is that well, we're going to reach out to the paleo conservatives, and then they're going to become more libertarian over time. It seems much more likely that that's not going to happen because um, one. Uh, all they're going to be like, they don't really have a huge amount to gain. Like sure. They could be pissed off by Republicans, but it seems to me that libertarians in general have much more, uh, not much more in common with the left, but they have, have much more things that the, the normal traditional right winger hates uh, than they, than they might like. Right. So like, uh, obviously uh, like we, like the libertarians, yeah, we support gun rights uh, and, and, you know, uh, free trade and all this. But often, and a lot of right-wingers don't, but often uh, the right-wingers will say they support that too. But but then they also, so the right-wingers will support things that the paleos like generally more. Um, than, but they but don't, when did, the but, conservatives don't hold people like Trump's feet to the fire when he signs off on, on uh, bump stock right. bands and things like that. And it's like, no, you don't actually care about this then. You just care about the when, letter. You just care if the letter is a D or an R. But this is the other thing. When did gun rights become a right-wing thing? Because right, you know, in most parts of the world, and even in American history, it was a left-wing thing to be armed. Yes. Most of the biggest radicals, left-wing radicals in American history and all over the world, were pro-gun ownership. Yeah, like, yeah crazy they how were that happens, huh? Marx, Marx and even here in Australia. Marx was more pro-gun than most conservatives in America. Marx was more pro-gun than Donald Trump there. Yes. Because especially especially in places where left-wing matters, like if you're in Latin America and you've got a right-wing junta where the dictator was schooled in the, in the you know, Fort Benning, Georgia, by the U.S. military, you want to be armed. So you arm yourself. And same with like – and the irony is – here's the irony, right? For a time – a lot of intellectuals in the left were pro free speech, and that's because free speech was a was was something the right was obsessed with, especially when it comes to pornography and political dissent and religious dissent. But within communist countries, free speech we understand is is something that's denied. Same with gun ownership. So therefore, ideologically, the left, when it becomes the power base, the government as such, just like the right, it goes after free speech. It goes after guns. It's after all of these things because it becomes about power. It becomes about control. Now, in Australia, the biggest, the, the, the Prime Minister, John Howard, was one of the biggest um, uh, inf- influences when it comes to Australian gun, uh, gun, like anti-gun rights after the, um, we had a massacre here at Port Arthur Massacre in 1996. He was a right-wing conservative, like a proper right-wing Prime Minister. And it was the conservatives that were before that. So mm-hmm. this whole left and right discourse between free speech and and um, when it comes to uh, gun rights is 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 ludicrous. It just comes down to statism versus individual freedom. 
the this is yeah. the this is the problem that I think a lot of people don't see is it, it, it's the same play and it plays out over and over again. It's that uh, what is it? Is it from Dune? When I'm weaker than you, I ask you for freedom. Yes, Frank Herbert. Yeah, 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 yes. exactly. yeah, yeah. When I'm weaker than you, I ask you for freedom because it's according to your principles. When I'm stronger than you, I take away your freedom because it's according to my principles. Yes. It's just yes. that playing out it over and over it's again. It's literally that. It's literally right. that. So, Dean, perfect example, right? So, Dean, let's say your artwork, right? You draw some pictures that are pornographic, right? Absolutely. I write a story. I write a story that's pornographic. Ace gets to be the voyeur that enjoys them both, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna be. It's going to be the right that's going to, one, go after you, Ace, okay, yeah. calling you a degenerate, and then it's right. also going to make what we've contributed to the world contraband. Right. Now, right. when it comes to other ideological things, let's say hate speech, racism and stuff like that, yes. it's going to be, generally speaking, at the moment, the left. It's going to be the, the left moment. that's going yeah. to say, yeah, at the moment, they're going to say, you can't read Mein Kampf. You can't right. read um, historical texts that were written in apartheid South Africa. Yes, yes. That, that's not going to recruit me. That's going to make me hate. Like reading Mein Kampf actually makes me hate Hitler more. Yeah. It's not going to recruit <laughs> me. Now, if I was going to be recruited by Mein Kampf, I was already there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the thing, right? If you were if you're going to be persuaded by this, you were already at that point. Right. Just like you know, just like Dean's drawings. If Dean's drawings arouse me, they were probably going to arouse me beforehand. You know, right. or if so I was going to work there, and someone else exactly. is going to fill that hole in the market. I mean, this is the thing. I'm fucked yeah, exactly. in a lot of ways. For example, like uh, um, uploading gun files is going to get me is going to get me thrown in prison by the left, and uploading porn is going to get me thrown in prison by the right. I'm fucked. Right I'm absolutely now, fucked. But, but that could switch because. The gun files thing, like, I honestly think, uh, maybe not so much just America, but I think, you know, the movie V for Vendetta and the graphic novel V for Vendetta, sure. how that is a cons- Christian, conservative, traditionally right-wing fascist dystopia. I think that a lot of these traditionalists and that, that's the kind of world they want. Maybe not they as... They want it. They, they profess yeah, to want not, it. It's, it's weird. But, but, but maybe not as as uh, dreary and as sad looking as it is. They probably imagine it to be more suburban and more sunny and happy, like a Stepford Wives episode or something. That's what they imagine it to be like. But that's the reality that a lot of these people want. And the same thing when it comes to uh, the left. A lot of people on the left, like the, they don't like responsibility. They don't like choices. They don't like the idea that anyone should profit out of essential services, you know, what they consider essential services, on and on and on. So what they want is the NHS that England has. What they want is a um, a form of communism, like a Soviet form of communism, which they can romance in their mind. But the reality is, is the world has seen both of them in different variations, and they are always miserable, they are always oppressive, and they have more in common with each other than what they don't have in common with one another. The only difference is one is termed as being left-wing because of some little key things, and one has been termed as right-wing because of other key things. But at the end of the day, the reality is they're oppressive. Yeah, it's a horseshoe, right, type thing, right? It's like horseshoe theory. Is is North Korea left-wing or right-wing? Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, like, if you speak to a socialist or a communist, they're not going to call it necessarily. They'll call it state capitalism, right? But they'll yeah. call it a bourgeoisie right-wing uh, dictatorship. Right. Okay. Now, and the left will just, the right will just go, oh, it's just communism, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, you know, it's like they're, they're both just oppressive. Yeah, like I said, the horseshoe shape. 
Yeah, it, that's the thing, right? Because like at a certain point, like the, uh, the the fluidity of language, especially especially with left and right, right? Like some things are more fluid than others in terms of like you know uh, what what terms are more ambiguous. Um, left and right has always been like extremely ambiguous. Like the the historical um, uh, like emergence of like left versus right comes from the French Parliament, and, and it's like this is really like what you're basing like how you identify off of is it like what what side of the Parliament a bunch of people where sat people on? sat that's in really, France. That's yeah. really the origin. That's that's really where you're going to like determine your beliefs as a human being is where some French idiot sat in inside parliament. Really. And and, and at a certain point it, it, it becomes a, it's like, I understand people use it as just a contemporary scripture or a descriptor where they don't really understand the historical context, but it just shows that these terms are just so culturally fluid that they don't really, it's hard to have them describe anything through a, a consistent time period. Right. They don't it's mean not, much like, of anything at all. Yeah. Exactly. And especially especially when the terms become slurs. So yeah. when someone uses the term as a slur, like you're a Republican, you're a conservative, you're a lefty, you're a, you know, whatever, the words have less meaning because when it becomes a slur, it becomes denigrated into a non-entity because it just becomes everything bad that's associated with that perspective. And the crazy mm-hmm. thing is, like, once again, coming back to capitalism and all that, if I was to say capitalism to 10 different people, it has 10 different meanings in their minds. Same yes. as, same as left wing. Like I get called lefty all the time here in Australia. My positions and my anti-government as in anti-coercion, anti-war perspectives, yeah. my libertine perspectives, my anti-censorship. And that's a left wing perspective. I mean, it's funny because like Rothbard said that uh, libertarians, and I, I don't necessarily buy this because I don't. I, I think uh, left and right are very dubious. But Rothbard said that uh, libertarians were the most left-wing ideology to the left of the communists. Even uh, was his argument. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but yeah, but that's it, like historically speaking. Like if you view left is like from from a uh, like. Uh, like a French parliament perspective, I think I can see where where he's coming from. And I think he's right given that definition of left and right. But also, and given the context of that period. Yeah. So you have like, so say you have a, um, a new government that's being set up. That's a rejection of a religious monopoly, which mm-hmm. has like an aristocratic empire that has landowners, it has peasants, it has, you know, all this sort of thing, debt peonage, everything horrible. Um, so they're trying to create this new thing sort of based on the American model, but then they've got all these other influences and then they, they associate, well, okay, the church was in with the government because, you know, the, the Catholic church was involved. So therefore let's reject religion. So let's create our own state religion. Let's get rid of Monday. Let's get rid of, let, let's get rid of the monks. Let's complain to create new, because they didn't know any better because these experts, these academic planners, became the very thing that they were trying to reject. They're trying to create, they were essentially creating their new traditions. It's it's, it's more academics who don't know anything defining shit they've never experienced. And then ironically, you go on, sorry, Dean. No, 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 go for it. I was going to say, ironically, then it gives birth to one of the most powerful autocrats in human history, Napoleon Bonaparte, who, you know, who wages war against all these countries and, you know, you could argue he's not as bad or he's not as good, you know, whatever, whatever. But he became an emperor. Yeah. You know? Again, your your grandkids will appreciate your political gamesmanship while they're being loaded up onto boxcars. 
There's exactly. No, yeah. There is no winning in politics. It's like, you know, you know, you can argue forever whether something is like truly left wing or truly right wing. Like you could have that discussion forever. It's much harder to have a discuss um, to like deny like the boot on your neck. Uh, yeah. Like you can have disagreements about, hmm, is this boot fake leather or real leather? What's the hmm, uh, what's know. the old what's the old bumper sticker? Uh, it doesn't matter whether the boot is left or right when it's on your neck, something like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. at the end of the day, and that boot belongs to a guy that's going to serve whoever tells him to do what he's doing anyway. Exactly. Whoever signed his like, paycheck. You know, exactly. Yeah. Like that boot, like, you know. It, it, it doesn't matter, like, you know, if it's a Republican governor or a Demo- Democratic governor yeah. when they shoot your dog. It doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat president. It doesn't matter. These things don't matter. It doesn't matter if it's if it's LBJ or Nixon who's the president of the of the country whose military is dropping bombs on your country. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. Like it's 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 completely academic and it's academic nuance that only matters to people that aren't infected, uh, sorry, aren't uh, influenced or affected by it. And that's the stupid thing about it. And Going back to the left thing, you know, for an egalitarian culture, they certainly have a lot of um, statues and monuments dedicated to me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like the, I mean, t- to your point, there's very much the, uh, I, and I make this, I ask this question a lot, and, it, and nobody really has an answer for me when I ask this question. If you can, if you look at the presidents, Clinton through Trump, okay, and you remove their pet project, for example, Obama was the Affordable Care Act, right? If you remove their pet project, what are the real, true, on-the-ground policy differences between uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump? And it's the answer's n- nothing, next to nothing. I, I would, pro- As an outsider, I would probably say... Um, the Affordable Care Act would probably be something right, that... Right, right, right. But if you remove the pet projects, is what I'm saying. Like, they yeah, each have that's one I mean. yeah. thing. But, like, they each but, have a but, thing. But wasn't that based on what... Um, what's his name? The the guy that ran against Obama uh, uh, when Romney, he was Romney with the Massachusetts <laughs> plan, yeah. yeah, wasn't it based on Romney Care anyway? So, therefore, it shows that there was gonna, it was going to come in anyway. Right. Because right, yeah. the American health system isn't a free market health system. A lot of people no. mistake that. From, but ne- but like, Australia has a convoluted public slash private health system too, and it's it's stupid. It's retarded. Well, I mean, especially but, but, when you have, especially when you have, the, ultimately the again, the iron law of oligarchy is unbeaten. So the yeah. the, the Affordable Care Act was written by the insurance companies, and you're just buying private insurance through a government portal. That's all when, it yes. is. Like when people say we live in a fascist country, it's like I actually agree. Like I, I really like if you look at like how the like the healthcare system is run. Like if you take fascism to mean the uh, cooperation or the integration of public and private interests together uh, into one thing, sure. then yeah, that the, is the classic. Yeah, that's the Mussolini, the Mussolini definition, right? Mussolini. Yeah. Uh, uh, Australia yeah. would definitely be that. I mean, I did write a. I'm still going to finish the third piece of it, but a piece called Australian Fascism. It was all based on benevolence and security, and mm-hmm. Australia has always been geared to uh, domestic fascism. Like the whole COVID stuff, none of that was new here in Australia. Like a lot of the stuff happened in parts, um, you know, all over Australia during World War Two. The government has the ability to using the power of crisis to take away all freedoms. It right, happens, right. And, and most Australians right. are quite accepting right. of that. And it has nothing to do with gun ownerships. It has nothing to do with, like, 
uh, constitutional rights because that happens in other places too. And Australia had a lot of firearm ownership when it was happening in the past too. And most of the people that had the guns were also very pro the big government sort of thing. Right. But it's kind of like the it's kind of like the progressive era in the 1920s in the United States where it's like uh, the um, the the progressives did more to destroy uh, Native American uh, culture, society and economic uh, incentive and and, uh, I'm sorry, economic uh, opportunity than anyone else did. It was the progressives who pulled the Native Americans out of their out of their schools and uh, out of their communities and put them in schools so they could be civilized. It was the, yeah. Well, didn't Ruth Bader Ginsburg have that thing where she was talking about, like, how uh, it's the Supreme Court's job to essentially, uh, or it was some, something to the effect of, we, we have to make sure that they don't have their autonomy. Or I'm paraphrasing heavily here, but it, I, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had some some quote about, like, Native Americans. Was that uh, in the, another uh, form of, yeah. Like another form of white man's burden where, you know, they're not right. intelligent enough to p- police and govern themselves, so therefore we right. have to to steer them in the right direction. Right, right, right. Exactly. That's sort of, yeah. And, and that's no different here in Australia with the Aboriginals. And even to this day, the Aboriginals are treated like a a second class citizen in the sense that they're um they're, they've got a, a different form of welfare system and health system. But what it's done is it's created it's destroyed communities and it's created a series of dependencies. You know, like it, it, people want to blame the Aboriginals themselves by saying, "Oh, you know, they're all alcoholics and on and on and on." But they, they, like for a period in some some communities, they weren't even allowed to own private property. They lived on community land, like as in uh, government-owned land as such. And they're given all this welfare money from the mining companies or from the government itself, and it creates this really uh, gross culture where the traditional customs and the traditional lifestyles are denied because they constantly, some communities get removed. I had a friend that working on a legal case here where this Aboriginal community was living in, um, this mob of Aboriginals living in um, New South Wales, and then a mining company found some minerals and resources, and so they're going to the courts and they're going to relocate this community based on the claim that some white dude had a letter written from a governor in the 1930s and the Aboriginals didn't have any legal claim to the land other than they lived on it for generations. So then they were going to be moved to Northern Territory somewhere. And that happens all the times. So, so yes. So, so, but then people go, yeah, but, but then people go, yeah, but they're getting paid all this welfare. So they should be happy. And it's like, that means nothing. They're just, they get relocated and treated like, like they just, like there's no culture anymore. And it's scary. And then, um, you know, not to mention the death in custodies and the alcoholism and things like that. But there was, there was a, I think it was a mining company that destroyed these thousands of year old Aboriginal monuments that were created. This destroyed them. And there was no protection of it. There was no, everyone's upset when the Taliban was doing that to Buddhist temples in Afghanistan. But here in Australia, it happens all the time. Yeah. We've got the, we've got the token, We've got the token, oh, yeah, we'll give it back to the, we'll give Ayers Rock or um, Uluru back to the Aboriginals, but they don't own it. Well, it's still owned by the Australian government. It's just the right. gesture is that it belongs to them. Or, right, I'm, right. You know, that. And it's no different to say, I guess, um, you know, it would be the same as with the, um, what's it called? Um, what's the, the, the Black Rocks and, um, uh, where they got the president's faces on it, you know, in the US. Um, uh, yeah, Mount Ru- I was about yeah, to say Rushmore, Mount yeah. Rushmore, the Black Hills, the, it's yeah, Black Hills to the yeah. Lakota, and it's like, nah, 
<laughs> We're gonna put white guys' yeah, faces but, in it. But what, but what could be worse than putting these four men's faces on such a? That is the most disgusting right. thing. Yeah. And on top of that, if the Lakota people and all of the all of the Aboriginal movements in the United States got together and destroyed that that defacing of their traditional lands, that would be considered a terrorist act because the yes. Mount Rushmore is like is like the Statue of Liberty to Yanks now. Oh, it's sacred to like uh, but, the American mythos. But they can't see the irony of that. Right. Yes, exactly. But, but that's yeah. no different how the originals are treated here. But a lot yeah. of people want to just like look at them and say, oh, they're, you know, they're getting millions and billions of dollars in government money. But it doesn't go to the individuals. And even right. if it did, it's so what? They want to be free. Yeah, the Native in America, the Native Americans are still treated like trash uh, by the government. Like, just it's awful. It, well, even when like, they were practically no media representation either. It's just even in that recent uh, Supreme Court case where they were actually given yes. legal authority over their land again, they just basically did a, a uh, never mind takes these backsies case at the Supreme Court uh, this last term, um, where the I mean the original the the, the original case I believe was. I don't know. I can't remember now. Bruin, maybe Oklahoma. Now I can't remember. But um, the the uh, Gorsh had written um, basically a, a a a treaty is a treaty and a promise is a promise, and reinforced the legal separation between uh, native uh, Native Americans and the rest of American citizenry, and that was just undone um, to oh, an extent. Wow. At the Supreme Court, they they just this last term uh, pulled back on that, and Gorsh writes a scathing, absolutely scathing dissent in that case. It's worth reading; it's so good. But um, but Gorsh Gorsh was a Gorsh is kind of a scholar of Native American and United States legal history. He that that's like his forte, and I don't know why the people on the Supreme Court won't listen to him. But <laughs> regardless. Hey. It, you know, it doesn't matter where the native peoples are. They could be in Malaysia, they could be in New Zealand, or they could be in Australia, Canada, or whatever. These peoples, once that culture has been defeated militarily and, you know, whatever else, they're at the, they're at the mercy of a government which is supposed to be the monopoly and the, the uh, benevolent benefactor of all the people on the land. And we see this as, as libertarian anarchists. Our culture isn't the government. Right, the Native American, the the Aboriginals, their culture isn't the the British Crown and the parliamentary system and the English common law. That's not their culture. Their culture is their culture. The the many different many different tribes, mobs, peoples of that what we call the Aboriginals or the Native Americans or whatever. That's their culture. They have all these. They have their own legal understanding. They have their own cultural norms and all that. But they've been forced under it, and they've either become welfare dependent or protected. But even then. They get lied to time and time again. And like, it's, it's the, very the, much the marriage... to your point. It's very much to your point about the the left and the right. They they the the it was again, um, and, and that's uh, I believe that's originally why I brought it up. I kind of lost the thread. But the the progressive okay. era, the progressives, yeah. uh, who are the same today as they were then, they didn't change. Um, the progressives were the ones who were arguing for, uh, uh, pulling these, pulling Native Americans out of their communities and putting them in these schools so they could be westernized yeah. and civilized they and taught the ways American. of, yeah, traditional Protestant <laughs> Americanism. And that's what the right is arguing for now or not the right, yes. but there are people, you know, the, whether they're NRX or post-libertarian or whatever they call themselves, the, 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 the they're arguing exactly the same thing that the progressives argued in the 1920s. 
Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and we had the same thing here called the stolen generation for the Aboriginals, and I'm sure they had it in Canada as well. And it's true. It's basically making these people normal according right. to their definition, yep. to, to normalise yep. them, to civilise them, that word civilised. Yes, civilised, yeah. And, and that's the same thing with what, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like, oh, um, you know, oh, there's a gay pride march on, oh, my God, all these degenerates, these horrible human beings. Cool. Okay, but yeah, then, why can't they just be normal, like you know? Yeah, but like, but, but but like, why is but why is but what I don't understand is okay. I haven't watched it. I don't know much about it. I just I just know the outrage that Netflix show cuties, right? That upset a lot of people. Okay, <laughs> but why is why is that? Why is Jesus camp not upsetting people? Why is the you know when the little girls have to do the beauty pageants and they're made to look like little yep. uh, yeah. Um, yeah why is I that not repugnant? I, I yeah exactly I, I think that you know if, if you're why? going to be consistently mad you should be mad at that too I was in the army cadets at thirteen right I was you know I, I I joined the army at seventeen but I was in the army cadets at thirteen right we had some guys that were coming through and lecturing us and we you know we were young teenagers and we were in army uniforms and we were you know we we're wearing the Vietnam War era style uniforms and using the the old SLRs which is the rifles we had in that period and we're being told now I'm going to use some racial slurs here to paraphrase mm-hmm. but we were being told the best way to kill a gook the best way to kill a chink is <laughs> adults because we may be fighting Indonesia at some stage because it's the 1990s and Australia mm-hmm. was having tensions with Indonesia. So we were told that the American 5.56 millimeter, which we have in our new styres, is not very good at killing a charging dink because in Vietnam, a lot of them were determined. So we had to use our big caliber 7.16 mil, which could blow a hole in the man's chest and all that. And then sometimes Americans would have to use their M79 bloop guns to blow them up with the grenades. We were learning this at a young age. We were doing, but I did, I did more, I did more bayonet stuff in army cadets than I did in the regular army, and we were constantly being told, and it was always about racial slurs, always, yeah. always, always. Now, if I was to say, "I this is what I learned as a thirteen-year-old boy in an army <laughs> cadet scene," good for you. Put hands on your chest. Good for you. Right, right, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but. If I was a 16-year-old, okay, I listened to 17. If I was 17 and I had a consensual sexual relationship with a 21-year-old teacher, oh, my God, that's horrible. She took advantage of you, but I can join the <laughs> army. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it I, reminds, I, me, I, just it, reminds me, I talked on the last episode about that stupid video. We were pulled out of school in fifth grade. We were pulled out of school and we walked over to the high school and we sat <laughs> in. you say that? We, yeah, we sat in this in the big uh, the, the the big basketball arena. We watched this video of of people being bombed and shot from the sky, fucking a ten warhog strafing and all of that. And uh, it was set to let the bodies hit the floor. And it was about how great it was that we're over there yeah. killing people. Uh, it was, I believe, it was in support of shocking off. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I could be off my timeline there. But um, I remember. Yeah. I, sorry, God, I was um. I mean. I was 21 when um, when the attacks happened in 2001. So I was a little bit older, but I was still a little bit wary about things. But I remember the news coverage. I remember here in Australia, I remember would have CNN because the American channels got precedence during that period. But I remember around 2002, 2003, when they would have pictures of Saddam Hussein speaking. He would be shooting his bolt-action rifle at ceremonies. But they would have in the background or just transparent behind him the images of the the twin towers burning. They would have all this imagery of 
of New York City on fire as if he was responsible. Uh, it was a subliminal uh, thing. But it was on the media. And I remember going to these anti-war protests here in Australia. We had them. Um, you know, there's heaps of people about it, stopping the war in Iraq. The amount of people that were counter-protesters and anti the anti-war protesters saying that we have to go over there and get revenge or kill all the Muslims and on and on. Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with it. Saddam, but, the Taliban had nothing to do with it. This is the thing. The, the, the United States, especially in the United States, I can't speak to anywhere else, but the, the people who were alive during that time, myself included, um, believed uh, for a very long time, and many still do, that the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are the same thing. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, that even happened when um, ISIS came on the scene and um, suddenly Al-Qaeda lost any menace. They weren't, they weren't scary or monsters anymore. I, ISIS was the scary ones. And the, the concept that ISIS could be on the American side in Syria but against the Americans in Iraq or that um, the Al-Qaeda people might be also be fighting ISIS and you know, the, the complicated nation, nature of of the conflict made no sense to people because they're just all Muslims. Yeah, right. They don't, you know, they, right. there's no differentiating yeah. factors between, there's nothing different between Al Qaeda in Syria, which became ISIS, but, and Al Qaeda in the, Pakistan. But at the same time, they've been fighting each other in the Middle East for thousands of years, anyhow. You get that right. at the same time. As if Europe hasn't been at war for like, you know, its entire existence, and that the only the, the only exception has probably been the last fifty years, but we've still had wars in Greece, in you know, in Cyprus, in in the Balkans, in bloody in the Ukraine right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's no exception. Like it's it's, it's insane. I mean, that's yeah. the, it's it's very much. I mean, again, I, I like I like to describe the current conflict in Ukraine as Slavic infighting because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But the but it's it, it's very much like that where people can't comprehend that. Like people have to see Ukraine and Russia, especially Eastern Ukraine. People talking about Eastern Ukraine. I have no idea how Russian those people are in Eastern Ukraine. They 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 identify with Russia. They consider themselves. They just happen to live in Ukraine. Um, and they were supposed to be separate, the Minsk agreements, yada, yada, yada. But the, the people can't comprehend the very tribal nature of these kinds of things. And it's like, on the one hand, I understand it. And on the other hand, I'm like, why do you find this confusing? I they think that's also the trouble when, when the, the, I think that's the difference between ethnic, because Australia and the United States, we're settler colonies. So we're basically, um, one party came in, one Group Europeans came in, took over, um, defeated the the native populace, and then turned it into a, this homogenized slash diverse culture. So we we have a different perspective when it comes to it. But in Europe and, and Middle East and Africa and places like that, a lot of communities and groups are based on ethnic lines and things like that. You just had map makers who didn't live in the area draw these squiggly lines and straight lines and go, "That's now the Ukraine. That's now the you know. That's now Nigeria. That's now this." And then outsiders like us go, I don't understand why they're fighting. It's, you know, this being a country for so long. It's because to them, the Sykes-Picot agreement in the Middle East or, you know, the Balfour agreement, that stuff never, that wasn't for them. That was for us, you know? Right. And that's so the, these, the these entirety of Iraq is the, that's the yeah, exactly. sordid history of and, Iraq is that it's three, basically, I believe it's three different nations that should yeah. be three different nations, but they're, uh, they were all just kind of lumped together. And these conflicts are always fermented and the powder kegs always lit by outsiders dictating and determining the destinies of all these other people. And it, it's just, 
And it's that is the form of imperialism that a lot of people from our cultures, our collective cultures, don't want to own. Like you know, in in, in the in the Russia, it's a, it's the USSR and things like that 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 pass that heritage. But for Middle East, you know, it's the British, the French, and so on and so forth. Even the Turkish, the Ottomans, they are responsible. That history, that that history, those governments of the past are responsible for the the effects and the the ongoing effects now. No different to say the Aboriginal communities and Native American communities are in you know in, in the in the in the the in your country and mine. Right. It's just there's always ongoing repercussions that are always going to have ongoing effects, blowback effect, just like that little girl stepping on a landmine that was dropped decades before she was even born. There's always going to be those bombs that detonate years later. And and when people can't understand that history has history, that it didn't just start now, that that, that these repercussions are constantly going to bite us in the ass. And like you said before, you know, your grandkids are going to thank you for your, um, your, your politicizing now. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned it a couple of times and I wanted to let you know, I'm going to put a link to Medusa and Liberty, um, in the description of the show. That's going to be, it's been mentioned a couple of times. Um, but this is a piece that you wrote about these, uh, sort of nomadic or, or, uh, otherwise, uh, what what would you say? Socially, uh, uh, social outsiders. Um, these women decide to go a different way lives. It's more, it's more dedicated to women in this case, only because, I think that the Liberty movement especially is very male dominated at times, at least as far as um, Mm -hmm. online it goes. Whereas uh, a lot of these women are want to be child free. So they don't want to be in a traditional marriage or have children. And and as a woman, a lot of women are treated pretty poorly if they don't want to have a child. Like they almost treated as if they're diseased, like, you know, they're barren or something as if they, there's, there's a reason for them not wanting to do that needs to be validated. But also a lot of them just want to be left alone. Like um, an attractive woman going to the beach will attract a lot of eyes. Now, um, they, they, don't want, they, don't want, they want to be left alone essentially. So the perfect epitome is that the don't tread on me flag, the, you know, the Gadsden flag, is pretty much how they're living their lives. And they're doing that not just as a social thing from men or other people in general, but as the government itself, especially when it comes to body autonomy, especially during the pandemic with the vaccine mandates and things like that. A lot of these individuals were very, very much at the forefront of being skeptical. I mean, I was talking to one a little while ago, um, and she was saying that she was willing to live in a tent in the middle of the, the middle of the bush until the COVID bullshit disappeared. She, she, she was living in a van, and she pretty much was just going to p- turn her van into a tent and live there indefinitely. Now there is a lot of women like that. And they're put, they're they're doing it. They're living it. They're being free. They're being libertarian or being anarchist or whatever you want to call it. But to them, they don't define it as anything. They're just they're literally like the the depiction of Medusa. They go into their caves as such. But it's always the government or it's always men that are pursuing them. Right. You know what I mean? It's not them pursuing. So there's a perversion to that. Why don't you just leave them alone? Uh, that, it's, and yes, it's a great, it's a great question. And especially again, we we talked about this ace about about uh, this idea of the how difficult it is to let go of the desire to control other people. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and to control their lives and to to sort of understand that it not not only is it not your place, but it's functionally impossible to succeed in that aim. <laughs> And going back to uh, like you know like okay when it comes to statistics and the nature of numbers, 
Ruby Ridge and Waco would be perfect examples of individuals that want to be left alone that were being attacked by an outsider. They would co- that they would invent firearms laws, like with the FBI um, bullshitting with um, um, the Weaver shotgun, saying yep. it was under regulation. Right. Or in Waco's case, oh, they're raping children. Always the pedophile slur, you know. The, the satanic panic sort of thing of the 90s, but like by calling them a, a child rapist as such, because, you know, they're, they're a weird, kooky religion. So they were using those as justifications to go in there and attack these families and the communities and to murder, to murder. Now, these individuals living on their van, if a random police police patrol vehicle rocks up, comes up to them, you don't have a permit to camp here, um, where's your fixed location, on and on and on. That person, this woman in this case, I'll use hypothetically, or you're not vaccinated or whatever the mandate happens to be, they will be kidnapped and abducted and they'll be taken and they'll be forced to normalize according to the legal standards of the day. Now, the only difference is scale. That's the only difference. The same impulse and the same mindset and mentality exists. But these people are completely fractured and they're very solo and individual and they have friends all over the place. They're just exhibiting a certain type of courage and living a certain type of lifestyle that's not normal. Not everyone wants to live in an office apartment or in a suburban home with picket fences and not everyone can afford to live on a farm. So these people live in vans and they live Mm -hmm. free. They're living like nomads. They're basically like hippies, you know? Yeah. But- there's, but the, the, and there is more of a liberty and a an arco, whatever inclination. And I reckon this is the thing that's funny. Why is it that we reach a certain point in our lives where Hazlitt, um, Hayek, Rothbard, Mises, whatever these people, they become the the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of libertarian and economic thinkers. Which means that we don't allow any new thinkers or any new oh, minds oh, to come nobody to the wants forefront. To hear it. You no know, one wants to hear it because they haven't had the the, 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 um, the distance of time to make them become these venerated heroes. Right. But these individuals, they're not writing treatises. They're not writing um, pamphlets. They're not writing blog posts. Yeah, they're, they're just they're living in action. But one thing I've learned over time in life is people lie with words, but they tell the truth with action and inaction. These people are telling a truth with action and inaction. Most people will get on Twitter or whatever, and they'll blather on all day about uh, freedom and independence and theory and Austrian economics and Hopper and all this sort of shit. But they're not actually really living. They're not being free. They're, they're paying their mm-hmm. income taxes. They're, um, you know, they're putting their hand out for their payment, their welfare checks or whatever. You know, they're probably working for a contractor that's a government subsidy. You know, whatever, whatever. They're doing all these things. Whereas these individuals, they happen to be female predominantly. Living free, and that's fucking awesome. It's it's such you a know, weird thing. The, it's an interesting thing that you point out that it's women doing this because I'll um, tell you why. I'll tell you I've, why. I've I'll uh, tell you. I've joked about it before. But my girlfriend has convinced me of uh, Sapphire Bluff, which is what we call our Ruby Ridge, the little place that we want to move to. Um, yeah. uh, she convinced me of that. Well, that's the thing. You will come across a lot of women that that want to have a man and want to have a the traditional marriage, but there is a lot more I'm finding um, that are get, going down this path. But you know what I think it comes down to is this is a new form of feminism, and it's because these women know the true nature of men, but most of all, they understand themselves. The most important part. Because to be comfortable being alone is a very powerful thing. Not many people are very comfortable being alone, which and is why hard. I think a lot of uh, yeah, that's hard. Hard. I live on my own and I spend a lot of time on my own, so I'm used to it. But I understand how it is hard. Yeah. But 
I know a lot of people that don't do well, they drink, they take drugs, they have to medicate themselves and, and entertain themselves all the time. These individuals are quite happy to be alone. Some of them are on social media sharing their journey, inspiring others or whatever, but that's a very small amount. Most of them, you only encounter the old-fashioned way. Hey, how you going? Yeah, good, thanks. The next day, hey, how you going? Good, thanks. When you go to the beach to go for a swim or, or you go to the local park, you bump into them organically in the wild. Right. Or I see them at the local markets because I sell comic books, uh, do a mobile comic book shop. I might see one of them selling candles or I might see another one selling, like, you know, just bits and pieces. That's how you meet them. And That's they. That is fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's, and I think, I honestly think that if we pull up the rock of the world and look underneath, we're going to see a diverse amount of little insects living their own lives, free of the internet and free of social media. And it is a world of allies and friends and fa- and familiars that are going to have more in common with our philosophies, being more anti-war and more anti-coercion than mm-hmm. what we will find online. Because I think online it's shrinking. I agree with and that. it's factory. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's that's what happens too when you have the the sort of the wild west of the internet goes away. Uh, that's yeah, it does. That's what we were. It, I mean, it, the wild west is truly the what you're describing is a very wild west sort of thing, and and it's a it is. it's people just living their lives uh, the way that they want to without well, care no fr- for what the neo reactionaries have to say. There, there are no frontiers left. Like the internet was a frontier, but now it's just become a mall. Like it's just become another shopping mall and right. such. But the frontiers, now the frontiers exist in our mind, and so we have to live in a parallel society. So basically, you have to live like a weed in the cracks. So you, you, you I'm going to pay my car registration tomorrow. Otherwise, I'm going to get fined and lose my vehicle. I don't want to do that. I don't agree with that. But that's a compromise I have to make. Same with these people, right? But what I can do is I can minimize my income tax to, to zero by doing other things, you know? I can minimize my services – like, I hear a lot of these post-libertarianism, libertarians, always talking about making a lot of money. All these people talking about making a lot of money. One thing I found is money has no value anymore because inflation proves that it has no value. People get paid literally to do nothing. There are people here in Australia that are unemployed on pensions that get paid quite a lot of money because of whatever. These right. individuals live within their means because they have realized that money isn't the most important thing is as health and agency. Mm-hmm. And they are celebrating their free time, their agency, and their health. The other thing, yeah. let's say I work a generic job, right? I get paid, I don't know, the prices here in Australia, 25 to 30 bucks now. In the US, it might be, I don't know, 12 to $15, whatever, okay? I get paid X dollars an hour, right? How many dollars an hour is it worth to, sp- for, to spend with someone you love or to just sit there and watch the ocean? or to spend time with someone you've lost. If you could take back another hour to say something to someone that you've lost in your life, how many hours of your, you know, how much money would be worth that? You know what I mean? The trouble is we now live in a world where we value money so much, and this is going to sound a little bit lefty, but we value money so much, and money ironically is also the means by which we are governed. It's the materialistic aspect of our lives that they can control us. And this goes back to what you're talking about, Dean, with inflation that control of the inflation and that. But what a lot of these people have realized is that they can trade, they can provide services, they can do all of these different things like it's a frontier of the Wild West, and they're doing that as free, independent people that are not enslaved by uh, religion or by government or by money. 
not saying anything wrong with money, but there is other ways, there are other means means of uh, exchange other than money. But for some reason, people are fascinated and fixated with it too much. This is why I keep telling my girlfriend I want chickens. Yeah. They keep giving <laughs> yeah. it. They keep, because they're good. They give, like, oh, we had chickens on the farm. They're the best thing in the world. What I'm, I'm actually, say, my, my friend. What were you going to say? <laughs> sorry. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Yo, you, uh, you guys keep going. No, 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 no. That's all. I, I just wanted to drop the chicken no. line. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, is you talking about like kind of like this nomadic lifestyle, not in a, like a literal sense necessarily, but like this breaking away from the system. Uh, you know why the reason why they're nomadic? Do you know why mm-hmm. they're nomadic though? Generally speaking, I think there is a certain romantic trap to it, but I think yeah. a lot of them are nomadic because, uh, nomadic because it's the only way to be free now. Yes. Yeah. I, so this is something um, – so uh Gilles Deleuze, he's a, a post-structuralist uh, uh philosopher. He um yeah, one one probably one of the best like quote unquote postmodernist um uh, writers, I think. Um he he ha- he has this idea about like um um he talks about the state and he has this idea of uh called the uh the war machine. And the war machine is this kind of like philosophical concept about like the way in which you can deconstruct like state apparatuses and escape them in some instances. Um, and he, his idea of the state is a, it's an institution of, uh, um, territorialization, which means that, um, the state is focused main, one of the state's main focuses is, um, um, having a set order within a society and not just a, not a, just like a particular order but an order where everyone has a specific the state knows exactly what what people are and where they fit into the system um for just like identification purposes or for um just like um uh, to keep uh, like 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 to keep the machine running in some sort and uh Deleuze um focuses on this idea of the what's known as the nomadic war machine which is like this idea that the nomadic lifestyle or the nomadic people are actually the a direct antithesis to the state uh because they cannot be territorialized essentially um they cannot be like um written down into any particular role or model at any given time they're very fluid um, and they can't be like um, essentially contained for into one role for too long. Um, it's very, very interesting. And uh, when I was reading your piece and I was, when I've been hearing you talking, that's was one of the main things I kept thinking of. Yeah. I have to check that out. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I, I yeah. think also, I think also um, there's a certain degree, like, this is a human cultural thing where um, humans always want to change the environment. So they want to renovate mm-hmm. their house. They want to, people claim to love nature and want to visit nature, but they also want to protect themselves and destroy nature as much as they can so that they can live comfortably or have monuments to themselves, like the human God delusion sort of thing. Whereas a lot of these people are finding they live within nature. Like they, to them, the sound of the ocean is precious. Like, and it sounds very, I don't know, it sounds very new age and spiritual, but maybe it is to a degree, but there is something special about the ocean. You know, there is something Mm -hmm. special about, the forest. We understand this. We know if we go, if we're having a stressful time, we go to any one of those places, it's, it's calming, it's centering, it's, it's good. So, but we, we don't allow ourselves to go there that often because we want to, I don't know, we, we, we're too civilized for our own good sometimes because civilization is comfortable, but the trouble with comfort is it also comes at a cost, I think. And that cost is reliance on the state and reliance on not, not necessarily community, but as a society, but a society that's destroyed, that's destroyed 
you know, a Lakota mountain that's destroyed an Aboriginal monument. You know, it destroys that sort of stuff because it wants to put its own heroes' faces upon it. It wants to knock down a forest to build, you know, um, a car park, you know, all that sort of stuff, or to build a massive tower and buildings mm-hmm. because it becomes a job program, because it becomes a, pub, a pork project. Mm-hmm. But these individuals, they just want to live in a van. You know, they want to live in a tent. You know, they That's might drop into their friends' house. And, and there's something right. beautiful and pure about that. They're almost like, you know, without the armed robbery, they're almost like Bodhi from Point Break, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, that a, kind it's, of a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. You bring that up that that's, that is something that I, I, I want to get the, I'm getting the fuck out of Houston as soon as I possibly can. Um, and, uh, my girlfriend's adamant that we do that. Uh, and I agree with her, but the, one of the things that we do periodically is we make a cheap trip out to the hill country when, when everything's like too fucking much, we go stay in a cabin in the hill country. We get the fuck out of here and we do it as cheaply as we can because <laughs> we don't have much money. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah. getting the living fuck out of here is, is something that we have to do. It's not like... But you know what I'm also... Yeah, I get that. Do you know another thing I'm also finding? It's interesting you say that with going to the hill country is I'm noticing that I'm more and more... like A lot of the younger people I coach, so people that are in their early 20s... Um, and maybe even teenagers, a lot of them are buying four-wheel drives now, and a lot of them are going bush and camping. Yep. Like, and not just guys, guys and girls. Like, girls are doing it on their own. They're buying off-road vehicles, and they're going out bush and camping. They're being a part of nature. They're doing that, and they're trying to embrace that part. And I think this is sort of linked a little bit to the Medusian sort of concept. Same with, like, a lot of young people are buying dumb phones, and they're not on social media. Yep. They're, they're, this, the social media and all that is is a generation before them. Smartphones is something that my mum's enamored with, you know, that sort of thing. So there's this whole reversal where people are going, ironically, I think, like, you know, the whole people that want to talk about how great Ted Kaczynski is, you know, the murderer that he is, they want to use the digital means to propagate his teachings and his anti-technology sort of thing. But people have organically been doing that for generations and are organically doing that, but they're doing it without any memento or manifesto and they're doing it without murdering anyone and they're doing it without <laughs> social media. They're just living their lives. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, but, but, but for the people that will never do it, the manifesto and the symbolism is more important. Yep. It's a LARP. It is. It's a LARP. It is. Most things, nearly all politics is LARPs. That's all it is. Yep. That's all it comes down to. And I think, and I think that there's a beauty to it. And, you know, and look, I would love to do it myself. And, and insert excuses here, but we all have, you know, but we all have the reasons. Sure. But I think I will do it. Like, I think it's going to be something I'm going to, I got a massive library. I sell used books online as a part of side gig mm-hmm. and I do mobile comic book shop. There's going to be a time when I get rid of all of that and I, and I get rid of all my, my toys. I might put it in a shipping container. And I'm probably going to do it. Like, and I'll probably take a laptop and I might even write something worth reading one day, you know? But the thing is, like, this this lifestyle is not for everyone, and I get that. But the reverse is true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and that's the trouble. And the trouble with governance and, and the monopoly and all that sort of stuff is a very insecure, neurotic group of individuals want to force everyone else to live according to their, their neurosis and their uh, insecurities. And that's how we have policy, and that's how we have morality. Even you know, the very definition of morality is just that—it's not for hygiene and health; it's because of insecurities. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Anyway, gentlemen, I have to make a move. I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, yes, you're absolutely no, fine. We've been going say, for yeah. a very long time. This has been a fascinating <laughs> yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. So I'm yeah, oh, very happy to fun. speak to you guys. All right. Uh, oh, Kim, plug your things. What's oh, that? Yeah, sorry? It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Please plug your stuff. Um, yes, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I think it's Kim Robinson 80. Um, I'm also a featured writer at the Libertarian Institute. I'm very lucky. They're very, <laughs> Scott and Hunter, the editor, they're very generous with my writing because I'm a bit of a rambler and a ranter. And uh, Scott has always enabled that from day one, which has been awesome. And so um, I'm very fortunate that they, they publish my stuff there. But I've also got a website which has got um, some of my short fictions and uh, non-liberty stuff like, you know, some of the combat sports and self-defense stuff, um, halfcage.com. And I've also written um, uh, two novels and working with my third and a heap of books of short stories um, that are also available on e-platforms under Kim Robinson. So thank you for having me, guys. It's been awesome. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Kim. No, anytime, man. No worries. Thanks so much, man. Um, Thanks, Dean. Nice to meet you. Uh, Ace, uh, do your plugs and let's get out of uh, here. Yes, sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at ace underscore arcist, and you can uh, uh, go to my substack at acearchist.substack.com. And those are my plugs. Yes. Uh, have you done any appearances? Uh, no, not this time. Okay. Not this time. <laughs> you always forget them. I have to ask. <laughs> I'll forget one and I'll be like, shit, I forgot to say this. <laughs> 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 <But> no. no. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I, I've been Dino, uh, my buddy Pacing Joska on Twitter, J-O-U-S-K-A, and uh, this show, T-E-T-C dot show, my show, Dino Files, on Alternative Internet Radio, A-R-A-D dot I-O, and uh, there's an outro, so listen to that. Thank you for listening to another episode of The End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at T-E-T-C dot show.